Commodities, late night movies with Ben, Rob, and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. I'm Ben. And if anyone helps the judges, I will kill them and the next generation of their family. Which I find to be a very strange line, because what if you kill them before they've gone on to create the next generation? Yeah, I had the same thought. (laughs) Like, what if they don't have a next generation already? Like, it's it's a valid threat, right? Because, like, if I kill you before you have kids, I've already killed the next generation of your family. (laughs) Yeah, okay, I like that. I was thinking, like, what if, like, a little girl helps the judges, and then Mama, like, kidnaps her, makes her have a kid... Then kills her, then kills the kid, you know, that type of thing. Like, just playing the long game. I, I mean, I hope she kills the kid in front of the, in front of the first kid. The second <laughs> kid in front of the first, whatever. You know what I'm saying. The baby. The baby dies in front of the Nazi. Ben's like, we're doing game theory. We're maximizing the suffering of the people who are helping the judges. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, so... that would have been a great thing if this movie had just broken down into like a really technical game theory analysis of how to maximize suffering (laughs) hey i would i would take that movie that is a that sounds like a great movie if done right but of course we are discussing dread the final film in our movies that should have changed the world series and now this this is an interesting one um i guess we should say right off the bat we're talking about dread from 2012 I don't know. Uh, I think Ben and I have not seen the Sylvester Stallone Judge Dread. I don't know if Zach's seen it either. Uh, so I don't know if we'll get into any of that. I have no notes on that one. Sorry, guys, if you were looking for any research there. <laughs> but this is the one movie that I'm very excited to talk about because I think of the four that we've done in this series. This is the one where I disagree with Zach. I don't think this should have changed the world. And we'll get into why, but I guess I have to throw it over to you, Zach. Why does this get the last spot or a spot in our movies that should have changed the world series? Oh, I think it's the fact that, okay, without getting too far into the history of the character of uh, Dread, is that this is a movie that is very, very faithful to its source material before kind of the onslaught of the... Well, I guess in the immediate wake of what Marvel would do, it's kind of a shame that Marvel has to come into the conversation about this, considering that it's based off a comic book. But it's one of those things where, like, it's it's everything people claim to want in, oh, God, I don't, like in action movies, comic book movies, it's, it's all there. It's competently made. It takes the source material seriously. It's relentless when it comes to the violence. It does everything right. And yet this is the definition of an utter and complete bomb. It did, it did everything right, yet it failed despite that. And I think that's probably why it should have changed the world is that not because it should have changed maybe how movies were made or anything specifically like that. It's just more of the reaction it got. It's more the element as to how it deserved a lot more than what it got. Okay. I, I thought you were going to suggest that we should be aiming to live in a police state. <laughs> We're getting there, Ben. We're getting there. I mean, I, I thought you, you were going to get into like all the police brutality and shit we're seeing in the news, and I'm like, I was like, Zach, it already did change the world. <laughs> it was on like an eight year delay. The the difference is today, cops are still scrutinized when they kill people. Mm. But in this mm. movie, judges are fired if they don't kill people. 
Yes, yes, the future we hope can hope for. I, that's why I thought you were gone. Mm. So okay, too I hot. See, to, I still I have s- a hot take. Back. <laughs> we're getting too on topic. It's <laughs> too real for the recording. So making that I, joke again. I see what you're saying, Zach. I I guess you know I I we. I think now in all four of these uh, episodes this series, we have touched on Marvel to some extent or another. So it's almost inevitable when we're talking about movies that should have changed the world, we talk about the movies that did change the world. But yeah, I I don't know too much about Dread, the character. I just kind of know it through cultural osmosis. So even when I saw this movie first time back in the day, when I think, Zach, you lent me a DVD or Blu-ray of it or whatever it was... Blu-ray, baby. Yep, I uh, I was just kind of like, okay, you know, this is cool, and and I watched it, and that's that's my context for everybody. Zach told me about this movie. I have actually seen this movie a good bit. Like, I I think this movie is incredibly fun to watch. Like the first time, I think I loved it, and then I like watched it with other people because you know it was like on some streaming service and we were hanging out, and I was like, oh, that's a pretty good movie. Like we should check it out because they hadn't seen it. Um, spoilers, I guess, for late night movie, but. Every single time I've watched it, I've started to have the thought that this movie is very fun to watch, but I don't think it's a good movie. I have so many issues with this film, and I'm sure we'll get into it as we as we break it down and stuff like that. But I think it's it's one of those instances where it's not good, but I still enjoy it. So I have to throw it over to you, Ben. Have you seen this movie prior to this recording? Was this something that was in your like uh, field of when we did our rock series? You know, you, you liked that action type of stuff. And this was a lot, you know, ten years after those rock movies we talked about. But was this something that was in your field of vision? Was this ten years after that? Okay, I rounded eight up to ten because two thousand four okay. was right. Walking Tall. So. <laughs> oh wow, yeah, that is okay. So um, yeah, I, I definitely saw this probably in theaters. Oh okay. Um, now that that is rare like that's up there with like a mcgruber level ticket <laughs> uh not i don't have the ticket i mean not that hey hey worth hey ben ben what? ben i have the ticket stuff <laughs> i have it exactly <laughs> try to sell it on ebay let me know if anyone, know if anybody will pay shipping to get it to them Rob um, knows someone will. Rob knows someone will. <laughs> Zach, you have to stop saying the things you have because last week or two weeks ago, Zach oh, mentioned Max- his Tron toys and Maxie emailed us and said, can I see Zach's Tron toys? Now he's going to email us and say, Zach, can you send me pictures of your ticket stub for Dread? <laughs> uh, but no, I, I saw this movie back then when it came out. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, I, I definitely have ha- did see it back then. I'm sure I saw it in theaters because I don't know that I was even like big into streaming services back then yet. So, um, I mean, my recollection of the movie is that it had shooting in it. I think. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Check. (laughs) uh, And so, so I watched it. I watched it again today and very prepared to be disappointed at misremembering how much shooting there was, but I was not disappointed because there was plenty of shooting. Oh yeah. This should be like bullets. The movie. (laughs) <laughs> I have you're, you're you're saying that you have problems with it makes me curious because I, there were a few things that I was like, you know, plot inconsistencies here and there, whatever. Uh, but overall, I that didn't make me dislike the movie or think it wasn't good um, in terms of what it's trying to be. I think it was great. OK, OK. I mean, it is like I said, I, I find this movie very fun. But it's just there's so many things in it. I'm just like, well, I think it, it kind of goes almost across the board. There's performances I don't like. There's movie cliches in terms of, like, visual storytelling I don't like. 
I have to say my least favorite part is the whole third act twist where he's fighting corrupt judges. I'm like, I hate that. I just want him fight the criminals and move up this up the building. Like, I hate that corrupt judges come into it. Because something that Zach said to me, and I'm sure Zach's going to expand on this point when he, I think he shared this movie with me, is that it's minimal. He, Dredd doesn't have to save the world. Dredd just has to survive. And I, I do like that aspect of the movie where he's just in one building, and as we see in all these sweeping landscape shots at the beginning and the end, there's a bajillion of these buildings in post-apocalyptic Earth. And I appreciate that, but once you have the corrupt judges come in, it's like, well, now he's fighting everything. Now he is trying to fight the world. He's not only fighting these one gang, this one Mama clan, he's fighting his own corruption or in his entity. I I kind of disagree with your assessment or with Zach's assessment then, I guess, that that uh, he's not fighting to save the whole world because initially, yes, he's fighting to save his own life. But eventually he learns that they're producing slow-mo and like that becomes his goal. And he, and he decides that he's going to take out their distribution facility. Sure, sure. And in, in part, surviving necessitates that, but... I don't know. Like he could have survived and not also taken them down. I guess. Oh sure, and, sure. And so he he does decide that he's going to take out the production of slow mo that is the production for the whole city, uh, Mega City One, from Boston to DC. So in that regard, he is kind of inadvertently thrust into a situation where he has to save the world. Sure, sure. I um. I mean, uh, I I. I guess I'll have to throw it over to Zach after this to see if I remembered his take correctly. But I, I do um, – that's another thing I think I don't like about this movie, that he takes it on himself to be like, you know – well, you mentioned it earlier with police state, and I think that's a big part of this movie, is that Judge Dredd is just the law. Like he doesn't care if the law is good or bad. He just knows how he has to uphold it. Like we get that scene with the bum where the bum's like sitting outside the, the building at the beginning and he's like, if you're here when we come back out, I'm going to fucking rape your face, you know? Like he's just yeah. terrible to these people. And I get that that's the point of this movie, but it be for me specifically, it turns into one of those things where Judge Dredd just finds out, oh, drugs are being made. Drugs are bad. I must stop drugs. And like I said, I, I kind of understand that's what the movie's going for, but I, I just don't appreciate that on such a, a cut-and-dry storytelling level. So, Zach, am, am I correct in remembering that take that you had about the one-building thing? I, I find it fascinating that Rob reiterates a point that I made sometime like eight years ago, and Ben's <laughs> thing is, Rob, you're not wrong. Zach's wrong for, for suggesting that notion <laughs> to you. I like that. He refused to go after Rob. He goes after me for Rob. <laughs> I can't, That's give, fascinating. I can't give Rob credit for something he that is not his. It, it was <laughs> and you your also, idea. <laughs> you and so Ben, I have a hot idea. take. I heard I heard that Zach hates the Jews. <laughs> 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 I heard that Zach hates uh, like I don't know uh, something that everybody loves. Like I should phrase all of my points this way now. <laughs> so so Ben can attack me, but you can attack Rob without directly attacking him. Um, that ben, I really that like that. this movie, but I heard Zach does not like this movie. <laughs> For my reasons, <laughs> that might be one of the most interesting, like sort of like what, logical fallacies, is to try to take someone. It's like a new version of a straw man argument. It's like you're not wrong. The person who suggested this to you is wrong. Um, fa- we're just gonna we're gonna talk bad. through each other. Like eventually, this podcast will devolve into Ben. Can you tell Zach that I think this movie's bad? <laughs> 
no, okay. I completely forgot about that, Rob. I do remember telling you that back when I, I loaned you this movie in like the summer of 2013. Um, what Ben's point is, like, I, I kind of think this movie for what it's going for, like, is it perfect in an objective sense? No, of course. It, it's. I don't think it's it, it dredged. Yeah, Judge Dread movie is not meant to be perfect but i think considering what it's going for as a adaptation of a very very niche comic book that's meant to kind of make it open or oh god um palatable to the masses i don't think you can make it as broad yet as faithful at the same time and that's what i mean by how this should have changed the world and how I'm just going to keep refining that concept or that notion I was getting at is that like, think about it. Like we make fun of Marvel because literally every movie is the same. And I know that's a very tired argument, but now I have to do the kind of explain to people now that this weekend WandaVision came out and, and Rob's going to love this. We have oh, a God. new, um, oh, no. no, Rob's going to no, much like how we have the death wish thing when it came to the Aristocats. I watched WandaVision for literally six minutes and I gave up and I started watching Barry Lyndon instead. Oh, thank that God. Should t- that's that's the <laughs> best take on a, on a Marvel property I've heard in, in, in quite some no, time. <laughs> but, but I like that. I like that I was so bored with a Marvel Disney series that my thing to, in order to become more interested was to watch maybe the driest Stanley Kubrick film ever made. <laughs> that was my thing. I mean, like, this, this Hawaiian punch is too boring. I think I need a nice Merlot. And like, that's kind of <laughs> like, that's kind of like what this is. Um, I'm sorry. But um, the point being is that like, like we live in an age where everything has to be designed so everybody can like it. I think I've said it before, like, oh, when eventually you make something for everyone, it appeals to no one. Sure. And I think Dread's the perfect example of you take a very niche comic book that's about kind of this this, oh God, judge, jury, and executioner that just goes around this in this authoritative, authoritarian, totalitarian state. And you've made it to the point where, like, not just that it's fun to watch, but you give the titular character that's known for being so stoic and a fixed point, you actually give him a character arc throughout the film. And I think that's the thing. I, I cannot think of another like adaptation of a pre-existing uh, pulpy property that's able to do so much yet remain so loyal at the same time. And I, and I know that's kind of not the point you were getting at either of you but i think that's the thing like like we make fun of like the character of dread for someone who's meant to be such a hard ass he's pretty fluid in this movie like even the bum outside peach trees like i love the um oh god what's the sign the bum has like will self-deface for credits yeah something like like that i love that like i I want that as a bumper sticker um like, like he said he's like he's like rookie like write him up and it's like loitering, like three years, like was it like two years in the ISO, like in, assessed. Thank you, Ben. It's like in the in, in the ISO cube, and it's like, and he's like, "You get out of here when we come back." And then when they come back, taking the guy out, he's like, "We warned you, you're going to the cubes." And then like that's the thing, like he's pretty, like for the unless he's directly threatened. He's pretty like even when it comes to the two kids that like allow for Anderson to kind of be taken like captive, he doesn't even shoot them. He he stuns them, and he doesn't do that to basically anybody else in the entire film. So he's pr- like this incarnation of the character, which is different than how he's portrayed in the comics. My very limited grasp of the uh, 2000 AD comic is he's he's pretty forgiving in this, relatively speaking. 
so I mean, to, to your point about the vagrant, the rookie says vagrancy uh, two weeks or two months ISO cubes, whatever, yeah, but prioritize murders, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, go to assessment and tells the guy to leave. So, I mean, that I didn't feel like that was forgiving so much as a callback to the to the fact that there are something like 17,000 serious crimes reported every day and the judges can only respond to about six percent of them. So, like, it didn't like forgiving or not, whether 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 Dredd had any kind of personal emotional experience about it or not, I think it made sense for his character, who is a lawman to be like, we prioritize the serious crime, which is why we're here. Uh, sure. But if, that, but, if you're try, but if you're trying to portray him as just this person that's just like how the, the one corrupt judge, like just a meat grinder, it's like, no, he would just go through anybody that's violating the law. The fact that he's like, okay, this is not worth our time. And I think that's also kind of like a microcosm moment of the entire like mega city one where like there's all this stuff happening. And it's just we, we, we pick out what we think we can solve. It's that like, are, are we going to ignore other problems? Sure. I mean, they, they could solve the vagrancy. So it's something, it's a little more than just what we can solve. It's what we can solve that would be worth solving. But I think that, but but that's the thing, though, and I think that becomes like a microcosm of what the whole film is with Peach Trees. Is that like, okay, they go in for three murders. The medic kind of gives them like the uh, the 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 emergency break on the plot. Like it's just like the movie comes to a grinding halt as we have expedition exposition for like three minutes straight. And I think that's what it is. It's like, okay, we came here for three murders. Now we're going to basically shut down an entire crime ring being run out of this one block. So I. Um, before we get too much cheaper, I, w- I want to reference something you said earlier that uh, about this being like an authoritarian or totalitarian state. Uh, I don't know anything about the lore of of Dread, so like I don't know if there is like a totalitarian or like a dictator uh, involved. But as far as authoritative states go or police states, this one's really fucking badly managed. Like <laughs> yes, <laughs> like there's so much crime that's allowed to happen just because they are understaffed so like i i hesitate to even call it authoritarian i'm definitely down to call it a police state because the police have authority to shoot anybody provided that's what their sentence should be like you know they they can ascertain guilt and then execute punishment immediately so i'm down to call the police state but authoritarian just feels weird because it's not there's there's very little authority being applied to these people other than when they're killed by police. Sure, sure. I, well, I, th- I think that the intensity, sure, we can argue the intensity of it, though, but it's still there. Whether whether they're efficiently doing it is something else entirely, but it's still there. Well, well I, I tend to think of author- authoritarian or totalitarian as being like an all-encompassing ruling structure. And I guess that's what I'm getting at, is that there's no all-encompassing ruling structure. There's just judges trying to do something. I I think if you go and look at the comics, there there is a more okay. of a hierarchy. I know dread. I know dread. I think that's even what the Stallone film was about. Like there is like bureaucracy, and there is that kind of like like upper echelon of judges that sit there have control over things. I don't just think it's a bunch of just like like people running around trying to kind of just like corral the masses. I don't think it's that. I think there's more to it. It's just like after how the Stallone movie bombed, they wanted to make it. And I think you guys probably both saw this in your research. It's supposed to be like a slice of life of a judge. 
and that's and that's it. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, that's my understanding. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's they want to stay away from that. Like, dread is going to like have to like fight everybody at once. It's meant to be a very singular story. Like that. That. That's what I can tell. What Alex Garland like in all the interviews that he gave about this. Wah, do, you guys, wah, wah. Do, do you guys well okay i mean <laughs> that's i guess i guess we should talk about that how in my research i found that basically no one really knows or can discern who directed this movie yeah. <laughs> i remember you know the fun thing about that is like i remember like following this movie's production like in 2010 2011 and i can still remember like on my computer in college reading about like how the director of the film was like thrown out of the editing bay and just being like that's not good and like that's the thing so like and again i'm glad you said that Rob, because i know like the consensus is is that like alex garland basically took over post-production like he basically what was it peter travers yeah pete pete travis um, pete travis who had only done what vantage point at this point he's the one who yes. gets credited but i found like interviews with um urban that are just like no alex garden our garland directed this movie and it's like what that's a very strange thing to say <laughs> probably alex garland probably was on set and that was probably the thing. Like, he probably was a very, very hands-on producer. Uh, Peter Travis probably got frustrated and probably walked out. That's probably what happened. Okay. And like, and, or just to say, like, you know what? Like, if I'm not gonna have any control over this, and if this guy's gonna micromanage me, then let him do it. And it's probably easier to leave well enough alone. Oh, um, if, if I had to guess, because again, I remember reading this all in real time, and because everyone's like, oh god, like, why are they making another dread movie? Like, like, what's the <laughs> point of this? And it's like, again, because that's the thing too. Like, you have, everybody has to remember, like, this came out in a time period. Like, this came out right in the wake of the Avengers. Like, this mm-hmm. was being made, like, when Mar- the Marvel Cinematic Universe thing was still like, like, okay, like, like Iron Man two came out when they started filming this during like production like you had a four and captain america which were by no means like barn burning successes like everybody forgets like that first captain america movie like barely like recouped its budget thor barely did too and it wasn't until the avengers that everything kind of clicked everybody forgets that that was the first captain america and thor movie did not make a lot of money and and that was the thing so like they the comic book landscape was very different like the dark knight was still the template for making a comic book movie in this yeah. time period yeah we do have to mention, because Zach made the noise, uh, Alex Garland, we, we know and love him as the director of Annihilation. But he's also the director of a terrible movie known as X. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I, I have to interject briefly with, with what I've learned about uh, the authoritarianism in the <laughs> Ooh, comic Ben's shows. getting political this episode. <laughs> uh, so in 2070, in this, in this timeline... Uh, then president of the United States started thir- the Third World War, and the judges, who had just been a police force until then, uh, deposed him, over- overthrew the Constitution, and seized control of all institutions of government. So they did become an authoritarian government. Okay, okay. But I guess they just had so so little power that they couldn't control everything. Uh, but occasionally, they'd get the writers would get letters from children who seemed to be agreeing with the hard right stance. So made, they made the strip more political to bring out the fact that we did not agree with Dread. Mm, interesting. <laughs> well, that's okay. the thing. It, it's it's like uh, it's like a British satire of like, oh god, like a police state in America. Like that's what it's meant to be. That's what their intent is. Whether like it's kind of like the uh, the Starship Troopers thing, where people kind of just don't get it. Like they're just like, oh, Dread's cool. Dread's good. and I think that's what the movie was trying to go for. Is like they're trying to make Dread less of like a 
oh god, a cartoon character of like a demented police officer, and more of like okay, like he's not like more of just an action hero. He's less he's less of a caricature and more of an action hero in this than he is probably in in his comic. I mean, I I don't have any, any comments on that. <laughs> all right, comment. Ben, fact check, fact check me in real time, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> is is live action dread less of a caricature? Google says. I think it's. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But no, I think that's the thing, though. Like, but like getting to, like, should we? Like, we kind of gave around. We gave a plot breakdown, right? Like, I think we was kind of just like I think Ben gave it earlier, just kind of oh, describing yeah. like it's it's so like, simple. <laughs> <laughs> did did like, I? I don't recall doing it. You did. You're like Dread. Like goes into like like uh, a project, finds out they're making drugs while they're like on a homicide case, and decides to shut down shut down the operation. That is the plot of the movie. There's really like sure we can go into like intricacies because we haven't talked about Anderson the rookie and, and like Lena Headey's mama and that sort of stuff. But like story wise, it it couldn't be more straightforward. It's practically a video yeah. game. Like they yes. have to keep go working, working their way up the the project until they get to the the boss. Yep. Yeah. And any so like I think that is a great plot synopsis, and everything in between those words, gunfire, shooting, <laughs> like that's the rest of this movie. Well, with with like special rounds, like some of which explode, some of which shoot out like what, immolation flares yep. that catch yep. people on fire. So some just stun children, you know. <laughs> um, which I guess he only had two stun rounds because later he runs out of ammo completely, and yeah, as far was, as we know, he only used two. That was something that I was like, I definitely, um, you know, I'm never one to say I want like an explanation of this stuff that doesn't exist in the real world. But the gun itself is not that big, and apparently he has like eight different settings on it. And so yeah. I would imagine that there's something in the gun that is like it can take a generic bullet and turn it into that special effect. I can't imagine there's just like it, it, it seems crazy. It would be that, like, OK, I got eight settings, but only two bullets for each of them. That seems very inefficient. Well, it, it can't be that because during the fight scene with one of the other judges, he cycles through all of them to, to realize that they're all empty. Oh, that's that's a good point. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but th- I had a problem with that because he had just fought another judge before that. And he apparently didn't take that judge's ammo mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I was like, that's video game rule. Number one, whenever <laughs> you finally kill somebody that carries ammo for your gun, you fucking pick it well, up. Well, OK, I got two X. Ex- OK, maybe this is my way of just rationalizing everything. But I've got one for both of those. The first one, when it comes to the stun round, the narrative reason why I believe he uses the stun round is because those were two kids. And it probably would be against the law to kill a minor. Probably a minor probably has some level of a restriction on excessive force because they didn't shoot. Even though they pointed the guns, their guns at him and Anderson, they they still didn't shoot them. There's probably some rule somewhere in the comic that says minors probably get some some benefit of the doubt. I don't even know that as, you need that. As as long as because like their their crime wasn't attempted murder yet. Their crime was like threat, armed, threatening, armed, yeah, yeah, like so threatening a judge probably. Yeah, so the, their their punishment might just might not have been death. That's what it is. That's why I think you get the stun whatever you want the stun rounds, and you don't. And that's why he only uses those twice because it probably wouldn't be the. The proper sentencing? I, 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 can, I don't know. I'm trying to make a rationalization. Well, what I, I was talking about specifically, Zach, is in the fight with that other judge, when he's out of rounds entirely, 
If he had stun rounds, he should have used them. I I don't I definitely know. Maybe judges' armor is resistant to stun rounds. Like there's a lot of padding I mean, there. Maybe the armor is resistant to bullets too. But he was still shooting at them. I don't know, Ben. I'm trying. I'm trying to give the movie the benefit of the doubt. Don't. I'm not saying that the movie did bad stuff. I like the movie. Maybe. Maybe they only carry two stun rounds because normally they don't stun people. I'm fine with that. I, I, I think that gets what I was saying is like this is fun because it just you know why does he run out of bullets in that last fight scene because it he needs to because there needs to be yeah. that suspense when he's fighting someone who is technically his equal not just gang members in the building you know yeah my only problem with him running out of bullets there is that he had just killed that other judge yeah and we but do that... when the when the rookie shows up he like takes the. Ammo, ammo of that for... judge, but not the yeah. the first judge. Yeah. But I think the first one is that like he knows the other two judges are around the corner, so he has to get out of there quick. Because remember that first judge, he doesn't he like obviously he kills him though, but he sits there like kind of like what breaks the guy's windpipe, and then like the other two judges turn the corner, and that one judge is still like standing up and collapses. So I think he just had to barely get out of there. I I, I think I don't think he had time to kind of like I... ransack him for supplies. I guess I can forgive that, but. Only barely because I think they probably all keep their bullets in the same places. But not, but like sure, but like <laughs> I think it was that like he had. Then... But I think he had to get out of there. That's the thing. Like he no, knew I, the other two were approaching. Like, I'll give it to you, but barely because like it would have been a minimal effort. <laughs> but sure, he's trying you have no to choke. He's trying to choke somebody out while two other people are trying are turning a corner. Yeah, but Zach, that's that's when you're like holding the R one button or the R bumper. You can hit A or X at the same time and take their yeah. ammo. <laughs> <laughs> as you're, as you're oh, karate man. chopping him in the throat, you just also grab the ammo with the other hand. It's easy. <laughs> I've done it. <laughs> Two judges as well. <sighs> ben is the authority. <laughs> That's right. Real life karate chop, steal your ammo. Well, I, I think we're I think <sighs> we're getting at something that another thing that you know this this whole kind of arc of the movie. I think. I I do like Dread. Like uh, Carl Urban is Dread is great. You know I love that he doesn't take his mask off. I love that the whole time you just see him frowning, like he's the entire movie, and it's it's yeah. it's very strange and it's it's good fun. But I have to say, Olivia Thrillby, who plays Psychic Woman, I think <laughs> she is horrendous. I think she is so stale that I can't stand it. And oh, I. I love that stale of a character. Oh God! Oh my! And then there's that part in the movie when they're going like to to bust the slow mo people or whatever when they first get into the peach trees, and he says something like, "Rookie, where's your helmet?" And she says, "A helmet interferes with my psychic abilities." And the movie might as well just say, "I am the hot woman. I cannot cover my blonde hair," because. She doesn't constantly use her psychic abilities. Like, she clearly turns them on and off because we get a visual cue to know when she's doing it because the movie thinks we're stupid. And so she should just have her helmet on all the time, and then when they need to do the interrogation, take it off. It, it's the movie literally saying, I am woman, you must see me and my hair and my face. And that bothers the shit out of me in this movie. Uh, I I disagree with that. I disagree with that. Like okay, I, I don't argue the fact that you have, you have, okay. I'm gonna try. Um, <laughs> I don't dis I don't disagree with the fact that like she's an attractive woman, so they want to put her on display. And plus, you want to make it a little more easily identifiable in action sequences who is who because with them running around, if she had her helmet on as well, it gives dread a little less identability in those sequences. 
like throughout most of them. I know Rob, you're gonna say later in the film when he's fighting the other judges, it's hard to differ- it would be hard yeah. to differentiate. But at the same time, though, is that like, oh god, when you say the movie thinks we're stupid, it's like Rob, it's a movie. Is that like you need something to to signify that she's reading someone's mind, and it's a pretty neat effect, like the fact that like everything starts to vibrate and like everything becomes kind of like weirdly like iridescent, like that's like again, it's a film is a visual medium. They could have done the Christopher Nolan thing where like she's like, hold on a second, and she sits there, she's like, I'm sensing it right now, and she talks her way through it. Um, Like I don't think that's wrong. You're signifying to the audience through showing, not telling. Like, I, I don't see why that's a bit. Again, if you dislike it, that's fine, but I don't think it's an objectively well, bad. Well, I, I think it is, the, it is the pairing of what you just said is that when she uses her psychic powers, we get the visual cue, and then she has to tell Dread what she just learned. We don't need both. But it does that. It does that. It, it does that at the beginning. But then, like, she has the moment when she's with the, uh, I forget what his name is, the guy that's like one of Mama's, like, lieutenants. Okay. Is that what his name is? His name oh, is Avon Barksdale. He's the main villain in The Wire. Okay, let's get that right. <laughs> <laughs> his real name is Wood Harris, and he I actually really like him in this movie because he's also great in The Wire as Avon Barksdale. But uh, but sure, Zach, go ahead. I, I see what you're saying. But like when they're having their interactions together, whether it's like when she has him tied up or it's the other way around, we don't get a lot of that communication. It's like – and I think that's what it is though. Like yes, is she communicating to Dredd? Yes, because he's there in the scene with her. House would he know? House would yeah. House would she be able to communicate with him what his inner thoughts are? Again, I I'm I don't even think it's wor- I don't think it's forgiving it because I don't see it as an indiscretion on the film's part. I I have to agree with Zach on this one, which is so rare for me to agree <laughs> with Zach. Um, I don't I don't feel like it took me out of the movie. If anything, I felt like it helped me be in the movie. It uh, it helped me. You know, like I, when I see it, I'm just like, oh shit, we're doing a psychic thing now, and it's like, sure, sure. Like, like Zach said, it's it's showing, not telling. We don't have to deal with her babbling about what she's experiencing, and also, I mean, it does make sense that unless she can psychically communicate it to Dread, which they would have to inform us of at least at some point, maybe not repeatedly, she has to tell him things. Um, so I, I don't think I agree. It's not an indiscretion. I, I think it's. As well done and as as succinctly done as as it could be. Okay, I I definitely disagree. I hate it, but I will say <laughs> that the it fits the visual style of this movie with everything that we have with the slow mo, with the colors, uh, yeah, with the, the slow mo. The really... drum. I, when I I guess we should say with when when I say slow mo, I don't necessarily mean slow motion action scenes. I mean when they they actually slow their brain processes down so everything is in slow motion. Uh, like adding that arguably color. Arguably speed their brain processes up, right? I like, think they say slow it in the movie, which is why. Well, I no, they say they that. say that it that it makes their brain think time is moving slower. But for your brain to think time's moving slower, it has to be moving faster. Oh, sure, sure. But the movie doesn't – they're just like, cool drug, you know? But yeah, I, well, I get the whole, really the whole like psychic flash type of thing. It totally fits with the visual style of this movie. So I understand, and I, I, I can get behind it for that reason. But it's like once we've been you know watching this movie and we're into the third act and then we see her, you know, we see the other flash and she it, – it gets at me. I hate when it's like you have these powers that are just kind of – the example I, I always think of is in the the uh, Fantastic Four movies. Jessica Alba is the Invisible Girl. Like, what does she do? She stands there and goes, Wah! 
You know, like there's nothing to it. And that's what this psychic is doing is she's just like, these are my powers. It's like the end of Dark City when they're psychic and you're just looking at each other. And the final battle is hmm, and they're just grunting at each other. Like I, I can't stand that stuff. But that's very personal. Oh, yeah. Rob, yeah. I, for, I forgot. Rob doesn't like scanners either. Like I forgot yes, about that. Yes, I want to. I want. It's like the what the the Daniel Tosh joke. How does Superman fly faster? <laughs> like does he grunt harder? Like how does Superman speed up in the air? You know, it's like there's no notion of how these powers work. So the movie has to do something to show us. And I would just rather it was like, oh, I I read the mind of this woman in the apartment, and she has six kids, and we gotta go make her life a living hell to stay alive, you know? And it's like, fine, just move along. But by the time we've seen it ten times at the end of the movie, I'm like, I, I'm like, get out of here. I know what's going on. She's a psychic. She's gonna use her psychic powers. She's also, to bring it back to the actual performance, I severely <laughs> dislike her performance in this movie. I think it is stale as, like, a bag of potato chips that got lost behind a shelf at a grocery store in the 70s or something. Like, I hated her in this movie. Why? Like, okay, what is the part of the performance you don't like? She's so she's so stale. She's so bland. She has nothing to do. And then when she I... finally goes into uh, Avon Barksdale's head and she's like, I have control over you. I don't care how much you th- think about us having sex. It's just so dry. Like, there's, no, there's barely any emotion behind it. It's literally like I think she's reading off of a teleprompter. Again, I disagree, Rob. This is so rare that I disagree with you so vehemently. Um, I I think that her character, I think she does a great job of playing like a mousy rookie who is too insecure. It being her first day on the job and having barely passed her qualifying exams or, or actually failed. But I think she does a great job of playing somebody who is uneasy with the situation she's currently in. I I thought I don't think it's uneasy enough is my problem. It should be a more exaggerated foil to Dr- Judge Dredd's stoicism because you're absolutely right. She should not be as good as Judge Dredd because like she failed her stuff. She's, you know, all this the getting a second chance or however many chances she's gotten. And I get that, but I I don't I feel that more from the movie telling me it's what I should feel. Not what I'm getting from the actual performance. Like, I feel there's a disconnect there. So, I mean, I, I definitely at least get it, like, leading up to the first uh, part where they break into the room. And they, they detain Kay. He's like, are you ready? And she, she like, I don't know, he looks at her and he's like, you don't look ready. Like, I definitely felt like she didn't look ready. She looked nervous. I, I think that that was, like, that's what she was going for. I, I appreciated it. I think she did a good job. And then later, whenever she's like, I'm the badass in your head. I was like, oh, now we're on her turf. Like, this is where she knows what she's doing. And, like, I totally felt all that. I was like, I got, like, Jean Grey vibes out of it. I was like, this bitch I is got... about to be, like, a psychicist bitch around. I got, well, okay. I got, she was on slow-mo <laughs> reading off of a teleprompter vibe. <laughs> like I said, I think, I'm, I'm agreeing with you, Ben, that that's what the movie provides me with. The movie sets up what you're supposed to feel, but I felt the disconnect from the actual performance. I understand, and I did not. <laughs> Zach, well, I what, what do you think, Zach? Well, like I said, I, I, I don't. This is the thing. Everybody in this movie is like intentionally stoic. Like it's funny. Rob makes fun of Olivia Thurlby, but like Lena Headey is just like I don't want to say sleepwalking through this, but like this is the question though. What was the direction on set? Yes. Like, I don't know. I think I'm not always willing to blame the actors unless I know it's like a bad actor. It's like, oh, watching like early 2010s, like Michael Sarah. It's like, okay, we know this is his shtick. Like, <laughs> like we know what his shtick is. Like, nothing's going to change. And yet, like <laughs> yes. at this, like you look, you look at Lena Headey 
and we know Lena Headey has pretty good range, and you watch her, and she's just monotone through this. Like, as a crime lord, drug lord, she is very, very baseline. And then, like, that's the same thing that goes for Anderson as a character. Like, yeah, I get where Rob's coming with. Like, you probably could have a little bit more flair on this character, but if that's not how she was directed to play it, because, like, by the very end, where, like, she's, like, escaped his clutch, Kay's clutches, and she has the machine gun and all this stuff, and, like, he's like, you're ready, rookie? And she's like, yeah. He's like, you look ready. And, like, you can tell there's a little bit more of a fire there than there was earlier. And I think that's the thing. I, I, I don't know if I'm willing to blame her. I've not seen her in anything else. So I don't know what if this is just how she is. She's a one-note actress. But I think it probably was direction. Because think about it, Rob. Does anybody in this movie give a flashy performance? No. Flashy, no, I would say. Um, that's the thing like nobody really gives an exact it's like for a movie that's so like gratuitous when it comes to its violence intentionally so so none of the characters are really like flashy or exaggerated like that's the thing the violence is really the only exaggerated thing in this movie and i i would even go so far to say that it's it's almost the point of this movie that our our lead our main characters whether it be the judges or mama or uh, Avon Barksdale, or the spy who lost the Star Wars, which we will have to talk about. Um, well, he's the okay. Ex- excuse me. He's I, I the just only say character I think they're that's all, a little to- like dialed up. I think they're all one-dimensional, but in a purposeful way. Like Judge Dredd is stoic; he's the law. Mama is. I need to run this and you know get the rest of the gangs out of here. Stoic in that way. Avon Barksdale is just you know I gotta get back to Mama. Um, and all that stuff. I, I, I don't know. I, Zach knows. Domino Gleason, I don't think he's good in anything he's ever been in. <laughs> he's pretty, like, it's funny, like, as time goes on, and I'm realizing how, like, diverse of a career he's had, he's a pretty solid character actor. Like, uh, like again, I, I think he's, I can, Rob, I think you're confusing the role, the script, and the direction with the actor's talent. Well, sure, I mean, but when it, like okay, I give you that on Olivia Thrillby because I haven't seen her in anything else either. Domino Gleason, I've seen in so much stuff, and he's playing the same wimpy person, with the exception of Hux. I'll give you that because he's supposed to be Nazi man in Star Wars, but it's it's never anything I really enjoy. But like, you got, okay, I've only seen him in a handful of things. But like, you look, like, juxtapose him as the man who lost the Star Wars to him in this. To like him and Peter Rabbit, where he plays like a guy that's like mad at like, oh god, was it James Corden Bunny Rabbit? <laughs> like he's like again, I'm not saying that he's like Daniel Day Lewis caliber, but I think for a character actor, he's he can do what he's told. Like again, I I think he's I think for what he's asked to do in this to play like an abused manic computer person. He has a pretty good identity in this. Like he's pretty like all things considered, he's one of the more standout characters in this is because he plays it so like he is the one exception. He plays it the role very manic. I'll I'll give you that relative to a lot of the other performances we see in this movie, as minimal or as not many as there are, he definitely has that type of of flair. When you because when you say flair and you bring him up now, I'm thinking of the scene where what he has to like 
while, you know, Mama is leaning over him or, like, holding him at knife point, he has to communicate with, you know, uh, uh, some authority to get what he's able to do to the building. And he does play that well. I'll give you that. That that conveys the scene of, like, he is scared type of thing. Yeah, I think that's, like, and again, he's probably one of the, probably the only character in this film that has a chance to show different emotions. Okay. Maybe except for, maybe except for Olivia Thurlby. I, I did, like, when I... I, I did want to bring up about what Domhnall Gleeson does when he when he calls the those people and says like, "Hey, we're going on this lockdown drill thing." Like, it should totally not be something they do. Where if you're not on the list, they put you on the list day of. That that actually, <laughs> I think that uh, I, that was one of my contenders for my quotes at the start. I was going to say, and I appreciate that sector. You just saved my ass over here. But I think that's what gets what you were saying, it Ben. Like. Well, you were mentioning this, like, police state doesn't seem well-managed. It seems like nothing is well-managed, because he's like, God damn it, Sector, I put this in three times myself, and you're fucking me over here, my supervisor's riding my ass, and they're like, mm, okay. <laughs> yeah, we totally believe you. You can yeah. have a gigantic lockdown out of nowhere that's going to cut off judges' communications. Fine, you know? There definitely should be an another kind of uh, security checkpoint in place. But like, but look at the state of the of Mega City One. Like that's the. Oh problem. no, no! There I think Ben no and I are agreeing with that. Like this is the universe, and that's great world building. But it, it's evidence that it is poorly managed. Yep. Exactly, and I think that even goes to the point too, like where you have like like Dred's able to send out the distressed call, and the two like judges come as like reinforcements, and they're just like, eh. They're just like, again, I, I think that's what makes Dread stand out so much, not just in. The immediate battle, but mm -hmm. also like in the Hall of Judges, is the fact that like even when the four corrupt judges come and the one that's like the leader of the of the group is that like it's like oh god you got Dread and that's the thing like he's he's one Dread's one of the very few effective people not just like in their institution but possibly in the entire world yeah and that's yeah. the thing is that like and I think that's the thing is like okay you're not just dealing with someone that's passive. And I think that's why at the very end he passes Anderson because he realizes this isn't just another ineffective judge. This is someone that's actually going to make a change. And that goes – and that's again – goes to the very beginning when him and her are walking into peach trees and he's going off on some sort of like diatribe about like, oh, all this is like – it's a it's a project for a bunch of like, like – like uh, uh, vagrants and stuff mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. and she's like, "I was one of these vagrants, and I know that most of these families just trying to kind of build themselves up one day at a time." And he's like, "He's like, that's a nice thought," and that's <laughs> the thing. Like he does, he does. It's funny, Judge Dredd, who in comics is known for being one of the most like two dimensional, static characters, has a character arc in this movie that makes perfect sense based on how it's set up. And I think that's, again, that is why this movie should have changed the way things are done. For the same reason why, that, like, it's funny. I remember, um, oh, God, Rob, what was the story your father asked, like, after Avengers Endgame? He's like, do I need to watch Captain Marvel before I see Avengers Endgame? <laughs> and it's like, no. And he's like, what is Captain Marvel's powers anyway? It's like, nobody knows. Like, <laughs> but, like, that's the thing. We watch a two-hour Captain Marvel movie, and she has no character arc. And yet, like, this is a character that for 99.9% .9 of audiences is a blank slate. Like, even if you're a diehard Captain Marvel fan, it's not hard for her to have a character arc. Yet in a $200 million film that's guaranteed to make a billion dollars, Disney's like, eh, let's, let's not do anything now. Like, let's just, like, we don't want her going too crazy. And she has no character growth. Like, think of all these, all these comic book movies. Like, in Wonder Woman 1984, 
what is Wonder Woman's character arc? She she lets Chris Pine go again. It's like okay, like we already <laughs> saw that, and yet like Wonder Woman is known for not being a static character. So like, yet you take Dread, who's the antithesis to probably every other comic book character in history, at least like on a mainstream level, and they gave him a character arc that a is contradictory. Just that alone, character arc compared to static character, and it makes sense for the character based in the movie. And that alone, again, it's as if. This movie, like this movie, has a really like rabid hardcore fan base. Yet it's as if nobody in the industry kind of like picked like the oh god copper wire out of the abandoned building. Mm. It's mm. like there, there's there's some gems here, like on how to write a comic book character in his own in their own film, and yet everyone's just like, eh, it didn't make any money. Let's just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, sure, sure. And I, I think those same nuggets of excellence that you're mentioning are the things I do latch onto and make this movie so much fun. So I'm I'm with you. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. You're, so you brought up that he passed Anderson at the end. I don't know. I, I had mixed feelings about that because it is so out of the character we're supposed to believe Dredd is. But at the same time, it kind of makes sense because he interacts with corrupt judges. And so like he he learns that the system that he was completely devoted to isn't as straightforward as he thought it was. So then he decides that he can be not as straightforward as he has been. Like, I I don't know. Uh, But at the same time, it kind of gave me the Beverly Hills cop feeling where it's like, Oh, so he also became corrupt. Mm. He he also decided to break the rules. I I think that's a good point, but I think Beverly Beverly Hills cop. Beverly Hills Cop? Or did, did we go through the turnstiles again, Ron? Yes, or, technically are we, we are in the turnstiles. <laughs> Tune in three weeks from now for Ben and I's thoughts on Beverly Hills Cop, where, where, spoiler alert, the end of the movie is we should be happy that Eddie Murphy has corrupted an entire police department. <laughs> but no, I, I think, Zach, you made a good point to what Ben is saying, is that he does, Dredd realizes that uh, Olivia Thrillby, what's her, Anderson? I think Anderson, okay, Judge, yeah. she's Judge Anderson is what I she's uh, uh, I mean three weeks from now I, I, in Beverly Hills Cop I do the same thing to me she is woman <sighs> in movie um, and <laughs> and so I think Zach you said it best where I do get and I do enjoy that he passes her because she's going to be able to actually do something in this system or she cares more than the others but that's kind of just like the cherry on top of that of that story because you know she expects to fail and what she's I think she's injured by the end of the movie and all that stuff and so but no I mean. It's a it's a very conflicting movie for me. <laughs> I do have to ask cuz we we did bring up before I forget it that when the giant guns happen many times in this movie but at one point a giant gun blows like a hole in a wall and Dread is able to get his comms back up. Did anybody else think how many people have died from falling off a half pipe while skateboarding on a balcony? <laughs> like, there's an entire half pipe that a bunch of people are skateboarding on just hanging off the side of this building. How many people are dying a day from that? That seems so dangerous. <laughs> so that didn't cross my mind, but it definitely crossed my mind that this Mama character just decided it was okay to lay waste to, like, tens of families. Yes, yes. Yeah, she kills everybody. In that shootout, like there's no, I mean, everybody except the judges, I guess. Yeah, everybody except who she wants to kill. Yeah, yep, yep. But no, that that threw me for a loop. I was like, these people are skateboarding. Like, is there a net under there? 
like is this is this like the advanced skate park? Is there a beginner skate park somewhere in the peach trees thing so you don't die if you accidentally like fall off the side or something? <laughs> no, you just take slow mo on your way down so so you get like a full life <laughs> before you hit the ground. Yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, so that that I was definitely like that is a crazy design, and I mean it's a good visual. I like that there's like oh this random things outside. We need a way for them to get the corrupt judges in there, I guess because the movie wants us to. But that just threw me for a loop for sure. Um, I guess I also have to ask Ben, have you seen Zach? You're gonna love this because it's usually you who brings up the Star Wars. Have you seen Episode Nine: Rise of Skywalker, Ben? Where are you I, going with I, this, Rob? He I, needs. I want to know if he knows if Domhnall Gleeson is the spy or not. <laughs> I I don't remember if I've seen that one. Is that which is that the one where Luke tur- can like somehow summon a, an illusion of himself? That no, that's episode no. eight. That's episode eight. Okay, then I I think that was the last one I saw. Okay, okay. I I recommend maybe this has to be on YouTube or something, Zach. Or I'll, I'll Zach. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. There is a there is a great like scene where in, in episode nine, Domhnall Gleeson is in those movies. He's Hitler, Nazi man, as I've said mm-hmm. earlier. And, like, the main characters are held prisoner, and they're about to get shot, and you, like, hear the blasters go off, but they're still alive. And it's the goofiest thing. It cuts to Domhnall Gleeson in, like, almost full body. It snap zooms into his face, and he goes, I'm the spy! And when I saw this, I, I was the only person in a packed theater watching this. I laughed out loud, and nobody else laughed because it is the goofiest shot. So Domino Gleason for me will forever be the spy. <laughs> and he also lost the Star Wars. Yes, he lost the Star Wars. <laughs> he's uh, he's Bill Weasley, also. Yep, yep. He's um, he's the robot in I think what was back in the day when we watched a bunch of Black Mirror together. Do you remember that episode, The Entire History of You? where the woman, like, pays a company to make a clone or, like, a robot of her dead husband, and it, he, she ends up just, like, keeping him in the attic because it's so crazy. He plays that that robot clone. Okay. I, it's the first episode of season two, and I remember we watched that, and we were like, this was terrible. Like, this is a stupid idea and a bad execution. Yeah. That might be why I don't remember it very well. Yep. Yep. So it's not the one where you can record everything with your eyes and find out your that's wife is cheating I, on you. That's what I figured you were talking about when you said history of you. I was like, oh. No, that's it. I'm pretty sure that. Hey, kids. The episode of Black Mirror that Rob was thinking of was actually Be Right Back. And Ben is correct in saying that the entire history of you is the one where people can record things with their eyes. That one's Toby Kebbell. Martin Axe from Bloodshot. I'm pretty sure is the guy who finds out his wife is cheating on him. Yeah. The Keskisei yeah. guy. You mean Victor Damashev from 2015's Fantastic Dr. Four. Dr. Doom, yes. I mentioned that when our, in our Bloodshot discussion. Yep, Dr. Doom himself. <laughs> okay, okay. So I, I have complained about some performances in this movie. What other scenes or things do you guys want to talk about? Because I can jump around my notes then and tell you why they're bad. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, so I, I, I guess I kind of enjoyed the, the, the scene where you know the, on, they're on like level 39 or whatever, taking out the first room they go into and, and we see a close up of judge dreads frown in slow motion. Um, whenever they blow that door, I kind of enjoyed the level of detail we got in how the, percu- like the, the percussion, I guess impacted the gangster's stomach. Like oh. we just see like yeah. organ shattering, internal bleeding, causing levels of, of trauma. 
I actually thought about you in that scene, Ben. Because Ben, for years, ever since I've known Ben, he's always been like, if an explosion is strong enough to blow you back, it's also strong enough to melt your organs and hurt you. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, this is such a stupid movie and TV show trope. And in this slow motion scene, we do, we like you said, we see that whole dude's stomach ripple. And I'm like, oh, Ben's gonna like this because that's like that dude is dead. If he's not dead, he's gonna need surgery to put his like livers and the liver and kidneys back in the right place you know <laughs> yeah I, it's it's more like if he's not dead now he will be yeah because you're not gonna survive that uh but yeah totally and i guess if i haven't talked about it here i should talk about it if an explosion can lift you off your feet it also killed you <laughs> <laughs> now now be a decent person and stay dead and don't get up and keep acting in this movie because you're dead yes <laughs> but yes. uh no, but that, no, I, that I did whole like that. scene is great. I love the the slow motion in this. And as I've said to Zach and Ben, I usually have a big issue with slow motion just in movies and in general. Like I hate, you know, the good old – the thing that people love to do is they're like, look, I have a dog. Don't you care? Even better, I threw a ball at my dog and I used the iPhone to put it in slow motion. Shouldn't I get a million upvotes on Facebook and Reddit? It's like nobody gives a fuck one to see your dog. And why are you wasting more of my time by putting it in slow motion? This movie, though, totally makes sense. The drug puts you into the perspective of slow motion. It's the visual choice, and it's good fun. And honestly, once they set it up that way, I'm totally fine with seeing that dude's stomach ripple. I'm totally fine with seeing a bullet go through somebody's cheeks. And we even get the nice touch of like the blood coming out of his mouth and stuff like that. I'm totally all about that. Yeah, I mean, it definitely gave me the impression, like, we are watching this scene the way the guy on slow-mo is seeing it. Yes. Which makes it all that much more terrifying. Because he's, like, he's there, he just took this drug that's going to make the next five minutes last an eternity. And suddenly that eternity is hell. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. The way that that... That scene in particular, I know they do it a few times in the movie, but that one I think really shows it off. The way that it switches between those perspectives of of the slow-mo user and our judges, or whoever else might not be on slow-mo, it really is cool. I love that kind of, you know, it's a great use of speed ramping, but especially in how the sound changes as well. Like when we're in the perspective of the person on the drug, like you hear everything slow down. And then it speeds back up and slows back down, and it really puts you in that scene. I have to say... I would do slow-mo in a heartbeat. Like, if you guys had some slow-mo, I'd be like, we should do a five-minute section where we all take a hit of slow-mo and talk on the podcast just to see what it sounds like. Rob, I think you should take the next five minutes of this recording and stretch it into 25 minutes as we talk. (laughs) Now, one one one-hundredth, right? So we need, like, 500 minutes. (laughs) I mean, it even it even shows up at the beginning, right? There's someone in the car doing slow-mo in that first opening yeah. chase. Um, speaking of which, do you guys remember, because I didn't write it down, do either of you remember why Judge Dredd is chasing them? Is it because they robbed something, or they're just reckless endangerment or drug use? I don't recall. I think it was reckless endangerment, but he says, like, they're driving erratically. They're under the influence of narcotics. And I yes. was like, bitch, you don't know that. Like... <laughs> Maybe they're just road bad raging. Yeah. yeah road maybe, road maybe, maybe has diarrhea and has to get home. It's like you exactly. don't know. Yeah. That's so that that gave me like I'm sure that you've experienced it where you're like that's some stupid shit you're predicting and then it happens in the movie and you're like oh they were right. Yeah. Like, oh. So, um, but but no, I don't I don't know why they were being chased. But if they had just robbed something, I think no, flat out, 
anyway, if you're being chased, if you're in a situation where you could be getting chased by the police or need to act quickly or there are guns involved, you probably shouldn't do slow-mo since <laughs> it seems to also make them move slower. This has been a Cinemodities PSA. <laughs> if you're in a getaway car, don't take slow-mo. <laughs> I mean, but if you have Coke, take Oh, abs- oh yeah, absolutely. PCP yeah. makes you feel invincible 100%. I do have yeah. to say, I love the design of the motorcycles. Like, they're very cool and very minimalist, futuristic type of thing. And then I love when the car, like, f- something happens to the car and Judge Dredd has to get off of his bike and actually, like, go to the criminals. And he says, bike, activate crowd control. And the bike starts saying commands, like, you are in violation of blah, blah, blah. Move along. Nothing to see here. And I'm like, that's great. Like, that's a, a, an absolutely wonderful feature well, for a police bike to have. <laughs> at first, the bike is like, stay calm. Don't get too close. If you do, you're going to prison. <laughs> yes. and I, was like, I was like, this started off kind of nice. And then it's like, fuck you. The only thing we're missing is the bike to be, you know, like you said, you know, like, like, Stay back. Be protected. If you don't, you're going to prison. That vagrant over there, you better not be here after this arrest. (laughs) Bike. Activate crowd control. I don't have time for vagrancy. Get out of here. It's a good little opening scene. I think it sets up the um, the visuals of the movie. It sets up that Dredd is just on patrol. You know, he has to respond to a call and that type of thing. Um, but yeah, I just I was trying to remember like during this conversation, like why was he chasing them? And I think it was just you know anybody any judges in the area. This these people are bad. Do bad things. Stop them. You know that type of thing. Yeah, that's more or less what it was. Uh, and then so after that, we get kind of the showdown with. Uh, Dread and that dude who has like a hostage, and he's oh, just like, "If you let her go now, you'll get life without parole." And the he's guy's like, like That's "You're your a bad deal? negotiator." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like the other alternative is that you die. I said I'd shoot her. Oh yeah, that's a very interesting scene because once like the the guy the criminal's killed and like the there's that woman I think it's the hostage. She's like, "Thank you, judge," and he just leaves. And it's like it's like. It seems like she's saying it more out of obligation. Out of, like, fear? Yeah, where she's like, okay, don't... She's like, I swear, you know, don't look at my business, because I'm breaking 60 laws that you're going to arrest me for. <laughs> like, just let leave me alone. Thank you, Judge. <laughs> so, like, the one issue I took with that scene is that he uses that, like, head incinerating bullet. He calls it a hot shot. Yes. That's just inhumane. It's a like, flare not... to the mouth, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's like where I'm from. You know, a hot shot. The guy should be up, like injected with like morphine or heroin or something. Yep. So that he <laughs> gets to be high before he dies. Like, fuck all this flare uh, to the mouth. Like how we have this totalitarian government, and Ben's just like, you know what? This is cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> they can kill us, but they got to at least be pleasant about it. Well, you know, I mean, attitude's everything, man. <laughs> I think on that same idea, I do like... Man, um, manners maketh me. Well, absolutely. I do like at the end of the movie when uh, Avon Barksdale has uh, the psychic woman, like, and he's ready to kill her with the judge's gun, and it, like, his voice or fingerprint and maybe both don't register, and it blows his arm off. 
I'm like, that's a that's a neat idea for like a gun because that it's... actually is something I liked about this where you know it's futuristic nonsense technology, of course, so it doesn't exist. You just have to go with it in the movie. Dread can say stun or hot shot or whatever, and the gun just knows that it's his voice and it changes. It makes sense that the opposite should happen, that if it doesn't recognize the voice, it goes into defensive mode. And then we get him with his arm blown off, which is a great little scene of gore. Uh, of course, the, the thing that that reminded me of is from the Blade movies. Like Wesley Snipes' sword, that dude picks it up and it, it shoots out the blades and cuts off his hand. It's like he doesn't press the right button or hold it the right way or whatever, and it's like... <laughs> tears off. So that's definitely the, what I was putting the mindset of. But that was... That felt to me like something that people would know oh yeah especially like a gangster that's that powerful in that in this mama clan to be like i can't use this gun because it will know i'm not a judge type of thing yeah that's a good point that's a good point zach you got a rationalization for that one (laughs) well i've thought about that but like my like he does have the line where he's like oh i've always wanted one of these yes but like how would you know about that though that's probably something that like unless you like like you guys were saying earlier most people probably don't interact with a judge. Like most people who do probably don't live to tell, tell the tale. That's a fair point. And, mm-hmm. and how many people in this universe have like hand, like I would imagine there's no like encyclopedia or Wikipedia entry on judge firearms well, and so what their defense protocols are. Specifically, they have it in the rules that if you lose your primary weapon, you fail the assessment. So like presumably it's happened before that somebody's lost their primary weapon but you do bring up probably. a good point that if somebody got a primary primary weapon from a judge they were probably promptly killed after that mm-hmm. so other mm-hmm. than witness testimony or wit- like uh eyewitness you know people seeing it i guess people wouldn't know exactly so like i i get it like it's one of those things where like it yeah, it's fine. It's a neat, it's a, it's a neat way of killing a primary bad guy yeah. without him just being like shot in the face and watching his head explode. With, with that point that you make, Ben, about how if you have a judge's gun, you're probably dead soon after. I, I would love now. I want a scene in a in a Dread movie where someone gets Dread's gun, tries to use it, it kills him, and then Dread takes the gun back, turns to someone else in the room, and goes, you're on violation of code 1062, you saw a judge's gun kill somebody, I have to execute you. <laughs> like, the well, judges are the in gun... control of keeping the information secret as well. I, I think the gun actually explodes, so he'd have to he'd have to use some other means of killing the witness, <laughs> but, but I'm with you. Like, he pulls out a knife and is like, here, hold this knife for me. And then the knife explodes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hope this extends to every single, like, tool that the judge has. Because you know that Dread, when he gets, like, shot through the wall, he has that basically, like, cock gun that closed up his wound. Like, I want to see someone be like, oh, I'm I'm injured. And they try and use the judge's (laughs) cock gun and it just blows them up. (laughs) It's like dispenses acid on them. (laughs) Yes, yes. So I was thinking of like the 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 stun grenade thing that he like throws out into the hall and then he's talking to him. It's like what if one of those guys picked it up and tried to throw it back like it just explodes in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a judge. Boom. Oh god. The, yeah, the tech is very interesting in this movie. <laughs> Speaking of the tech, I do have to say just like in Spawn, just like in Tenet, we get a dead man switch from Mama at the end. This is this is just the sign of a great movie, right? Just Dead Man Switch comes up out of nowhere because in all three movies now, it just literally comes out of nowhere. <laughs> I I do like the way they handled the Dead Man Switch in this one. 
he was just like, do you think that the signal will travel through hundreds of layers of concrete? Yeah, yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> Dredd likes to throw people down things. Oh, he yeah, does that absolutely. twice in this movie. He likes to throw people down like like the endless chasm. I'm like, so, okay, I think... Well, that was that was the the original murders that brought him to peach trees. Like that's what happened is they were skinned and then thrown off of the of the balcony, but then they were slow mode first. Mm-hmm. So like they got to experience the fall for who knows how long. But he but he also does that with like after like Mama has like the three what Gatling guns and like mows down the entire like floor of the building, like in, in like what Mama's other lieutenant like goes like searching for like the bodies and then like. Like Dread picks them. Like we hear the gunshots from Mama's perspective. And then next we know Dread has the other like lieutenant and just throws him over the edge and walks away. And it's like okay, I'm like that's a pretty. When he tapped into the PA system and they're like, oh no, that's when he shot the incendiary thing. Never mind, I'm mixing scenes up. No, but like I said that was the thing. Like, he, like that's a pretty cool like finishing move. Like taking her like, after like she mows down an entire floor. You take her top lieutenant that's searching for your dead body. Just pick him up and literally just throw him over the railing. Yeah, I I kind of took that as like um I don't I don't know exactly how to describe it. Like they were nodding at the fact that that's what the criminals did, and then that's what was being done to the criminals. Kind of nodding at the fact that that maybe the judges aren't completely on the up and up. They live in a vertical building it's like what you don't have too many other options you know <laughs> well he has no bullets so you gotta get creative <laughs> that i really do like that last scene like mama's death where what judge dread has that little monologue where he's like you're in violation of blah 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 like any basically says any last words and she says nothing and he's like noted and then, just, <laughs> and then he's like i'm gonna force you to do this drug now <laughs> i if i was dropped off somewhere i'd want to take some slow-mo beforehand at least in the oh, God. <laughs> I mean, just, just so so I, I have some thoughts about this. I would, like if you have slow-mo in your system, like you might be terrified the whole time you're falling. Sure. And then that could just be really awful, long, prolonged, terrifying experience. Or you might not think you're falling fast enough to get hurt. Oh, interesting. So I was you gonna might be, say might be fine. Emotionally. I was gonna say you might start off scared, and since you're in slow motion, you come to the realization that you will die. And you kind of hit this zen-like status right before you die, you know? <laughs> so, so then you make it to, like, Buddha's second level of heaven or whatever. <laughs> you find whatever nirvana three-quarters of the way down? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Makes no, sense to me. It's, it's actually, I, I think one of the things that I still really enjoy about this movie and attracted to me the first time Zach shared it with me is that as far as we know, the drug is just you perceive things in slow motion. Like, it's not like, you know, oh, it's the craziest high that's ever existed, and it you, you, like, feels better than anything else. And really, the movie does it, I think the movie does a good job of just saying, yeah, it makes you slow motion. Like, as far as I remember, there's no, like, talk of, oh, it gives you these terrible side effects, and it's killing thousands of people. No. It's because Judge Dredd is just, I am the law, drugs are bad, must stop drugs. Yeah, that that is a good point. They All they say is that it's, like, sweeping the city. And that people like doing it for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Because I think it's getting at, like, a, a very fundamental thing of why people do drugs is to change their perspective. But it's playing at it in such a basic way that it's like, yeah, now you see things in slow motion. It's very simple. And that's good. I would have hated it if it was like, this is the most pure form of heroin that's ever existed, you know? And it's like, this is going to just ruin people's lives. And But there's never any line like that where it's like there's 17,000 crimes a day because of this drug or anything. I'm glad no, they yeah. stay away from that. I don't know. I, I feel a little strange about that because generally if something's going to be illegal, I, I would like for there to be a reason. 
that it's illegal. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, it so, seems like almost everything is illegal in this universe. <laughs> uh, almost everything's punishable by some amount of prison. That's yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I, I don't know. So like, in anything that what I should say is anything that is illegal is punishable by prison. Yep, yep. Like vagrancy is punishable by like two months in I in the yeah, ISO cubes. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, whatever he says, Judge Dredd says is very egregious for that. You know. Like, I'm just imagining Judge Dredd goes to a restaurant and his steak is undercooked, and he's like, that's two hours in the ISO cubes, you know? <laughs> and it's just like everything has some form of punishment attached to it. Uh, so actually, this actually, this actually kind of ties back into the to the kids in the stun rounds. He actually says the juve cubes. Oh, that's right, which was a great, that's a great saying. Like, ISO cubes make sense. Like, it's ice, like solitary confinement, I would yeah. imagine. But juve cubes just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Like, that should be, like, a band name or something. Be like, welcome to the stage, the Juve Cubes. <laughs> right. So I, we're getting indication that, that what Zach said is right, that, that juveniles are treated yeah. differently in the system. Do you think it's, a, it's the same idea? It's just a physically smaller cube? Like, the um, cube itself <laughs> is juvenile? I, I, think, I think that the cube is young. <laughs> Like, it's not, like, it hasn't seen as much shit. It's not ready for the big times. I like that. Yep. It still has, like, some soft spots in it, you know? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Like, if you try it hard enough, you could, like, mold some of its spots into, like, pottery bowls and shit. Like, that's how soft it is. Can't have adults in there. Gotta have have juves. Juve cubes. I do like juve cubes. That's a great, a great phrase. That's one of the other things I do like about this movie, is that, you know, we don't really get a lot of explanation onto what the jargon is. I do like that it's just like, boom, here you go. You know, they're just spouting off jargon. The judges or the judge and um, Anderson are just like spouting off jargon. I know what it means. And it's like, good. I don't want anybody to explain this to me. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and like you, you get to avoid that feeling of like, why are they explaining it to each other? Yep. Yep. Um, exactly. The one thing that they, they say is like that they don't explain is is we got four bodies for recycle. Yep. I, oh, I yeah, looked into, yeah. I looked into that. Uh, Recycle is body recycling, uh, and they like turn people's bodies into food and other things that are Ooh. used by industry. So there's like supposedly there's like zero waste in Mega City One, okay. including human bodies. But there's also no room to bury human bodies, so they just like turn them into resources and food. Right on. I got nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I think that uh, uh, gives me an idea for the restaurant later on in this episode. <laughs> People. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, Zach, what, were there any other scenes that we haven't talked about that you wanted to mention? This is one of those movies where, one, I guess we should say, it is 90 minutes long, which is very surprising for this, uh, this series, I should say. You know, Starship Troopers over two hours, Speed Racers over two hours. We did two movies in the Tron episode. And this one, we get a nice 90-minute bullet-filled romp. <laughs> bullet through, yeah, bullet-filled romp indeed. Um, uh, sequences, like I said, I, there's really nothing in this movie that, like... Uh, is there like a set piece? Like you had to show one person one scene. I guess it'd be what that like that for, like that slow mo gunfight from like when they first capture K. I guess that's what like genuinely like the demo sequence for this. Yeah, because they're, they're, like, the thing I find interesting about this movie is that like Dread really doesn't have like a physical nemesis in this. Mm-hmm. Like like that's the only thing I have to say is maybe a detriment to this movie is that like after like he like 
like resupplies himself. It just feels like a fait accompli that he's going to get Mama. Oh, sure, sure. Like that's his his last push. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like he's able to defeat four judges. It's like this woman now that her top people are dead. Like, are they really going to be able to like do anything? So I guess it's more of a just the the thrill of him succeeding after all this. Like he finally reached the top mm-hmm. because like that's the only thing though. It's like, it's, it's unconventional in that sense. Cause usually like in any sort of action movie like this, you have your one-on-one fight. Yep. And you, and, and like, that's the whole point. Mama's not meant to be the brute. She's not meant to be the heavy. And so like when he does confront her, I, I guess it's the idea of how brutal his punishment is to her. The fact that he makes her basically undergo the same thing she did to these guys that were the, inciting incident to all this mm-hmm. but like but like i said earlier she does like he he throws one of her lieutenants over the over the railing yeah so we've already seen him do that so it feels like that i'd say one thing i would say is that this, the ending does feel a little anticlimactic so i actually think that there's another part in this movie that that deserves mentioning if we're talking about anticlimactic when anderson encounters one of the bad judges like before oh, that, the yes, bad judge is yep. like, if I see her first, I shoot her. If she sees me first, she hesitates, then I shoot her. Yep. And then and then she interacts with Anderson, and and uh, Anderson sees her first, uses her psychic abilities to determine she's bad, and then shoots her. And it's yep. like, I mean, it's barely a confrontation. Yeah, absolutely. It, I, I enjoyed it, but it's barely a confrontation. Oh, sure, sure. I mean, it, like, I, like, I think one of the other problems I have with those corrupt judges at the end is that, you know, they... They're there for, like, a big action scene, and that one is definitely very, you know, just kind of, oh, it happens type of thing. But then, once again, I have to, you know, ask myself, probably looking at this movie once again with more of a a logical mindset, if woman in movie can't wear a helmet because it interferes with her psychic abilities, why don't other judges' helmets work like Magneto's helmet? How come she can read minds from exteriors of helmets but not interiors? I, I had the same thought. Um, it's oh, it's really? got to be like the, the mask thing. Where like, you know, you wear a mask to protect other people and not to protect you. So it's it's like, it's think about it like getting peed on. Like if you're wearing, <laughs> if, if you're wearing pants and you try to weird. pee on somebody else, like you're just peeing in your pants and it's going to be all over you. And that's that's what the mask does. But if they're wearing <laughs> pants and you pee on them, then, they, then they're like soaked in piss. So that's, I think that's the psychic thing too. Like, if she was wearing the helmet, she'd be, like, metaphorically peeing on herself. But instead, she's metaphorically peeing on them. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? That actually makes perfect sense. Like, as weird as it may sound, that actually is, like, a perfect analogy. Well done, Ben. I don't know. Well done. I I save up a lot of pee, and I saturate my pants, and it gets through it. Like, (laughs) with the amount of urine and the force of the urine, I break through my pants. So I'm what... (laughs) I'm what's called a forceful peer. I they've actually there are legends about me. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> this is this is strange. But no, I hear you, Ben. That one is very it, it really is that like that judge fight with dread is the one that is the more suspenseful action scene. And speaking of peeing, I guess we should say Avon Barksdale pees himself because Olivia Thrillby gets in his head too bad or something like that. <laughs> yeah, he, he does. He does pee himself. Because she makes him believe that Mama bit off his dick or something. There's a He's lot like, "You're sucking my dick in my <laughs> mind," and she's like, "Actually, somebody else is biting off your dick in your mind." <laughs> so that was, that was interesting. Oh God, what a what a film! 
Zach's like, it should have changed the world. We need more people peeing. <laughs> we should have Zach... had Tom Hanks in this movie. <laughs> oh, God. Crazy. I don't know. I think uh, that's well, pretty much... I think, actually, as I g- glanced through my notes, the only other one I wanted to mention... The only other thing I wanted to mention was um, we get that, I guess, another very... Uh, I get kind of cliche is the um, the med bay or the pharmacy guy who's like, I won't let you win because this is the neutral zone. And Dredd says, what do you mean you're neutral? You're clearly picking a side because he won't yeah, let him get in. The whole, the whole uh, is it Rush? Oh, you think of the song? If if you have not made a choice, if you if you decide not to if choose, you... you still made a choice. That type yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can choose a encounter that in our Constantine discussion, Ben, where Papa Midnight's like, you can't use the electric chair because I'm neutral. And Keanu Reeves is like, there's 80 million fucking demons in the world, and you're telling me not letting me use an electric chair is, is neutral, you know? Yeah. It's almost paradoxical when it comes up in these movies. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think for him to say I'm neutral, like, obviously, he's just scared. And he mm-hmm. is using this idea of, of neutrality as, as a way to not be involved. Yeah, yeah. So that he doesn't get shot up or whatever. But, like, I don't know. It's just I, it's just a dumb line. I guess I would have been happier <laughs> if he had been like, I don't want to get shot. Leave me alone. But whatever. I, if I remember correctly, doesn't Dredd say something like, if you don't let me in, you're in violation of some code and you're going to go to no, the ISO cubes? <laughs> no, he, he doesn't, and he should have. Okay, I don't understand okay. why, he, why he doesn't. Like, I was totally thinking... Like I'm pretty sure that the U.S. government can still like conscript your house, if they if they want to for military reasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he could have he could have easily been like I'm by virtue of this decree I'm taking over the med bay, and if you don't let me in, you're in violation of blah blah blah, and that's 37 minutes in the juve cubes, <laughs> and 24 hours in an ISO cube, and then you get shot. Like <laughs> you know. Yep. Yep. Like, just long enough to almost get off in the juve cube and then... Juve cube. <laughs> so it's like, his punishment is like edging, you know? Like, he just has to... Get... <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess I'm not going to explain that one. Then. <laughs> That'll be great to get an email from somebody. What's this edging? You talk about peeing and edging. What's going on in this episode? <laughs> uh... <sighs> We go from Tron toys to edging. This is a fantastic <laughs> podcast. Just Google it. You know, that's what I have to say to you. If you don't know what edging is, you want to know what edging is, just Google it. Yep. It's safe. <laughs> oh, Take God. that safe search Sin and Cinematis will not be held liable for uh, search results that come from Googling edging. Oh, don't, man. Don't, oh, man. I think, I think with that, I think that was everything else, everything I had for this movie. I mean, like I... I really did not have a lot. I mean, it is a very simple movie, and I appreciate that. Um, but anything else from you guys that we wanted to talk about? I have. You know, what? I forgot to talk about my context. We didn't talk about context, Rob. Uh, oh, well, that's... we talked about our context. Yeah, we we skipped you, Zach. <laughs> yeah. No, because like I could say. <laughs> <laughs> 
My context is the only context that matters. Um, no, it's like I saw this <clears throat> the first because we didn't talk about it. the movie only made like thirteen million dollars in the U.S. Yep. Like it ma- worldwide, it didn't even make back like its forty million dollar production budget, which is kind of like shocking when you think about it. But I saw this movie the Monday after opening weekend in three D because technically the true title of this film is Dread Three D. Okay. Okay. That makes that makes perfect sense with the the visuals of the slow mo that you get some some three D aspects of it for sure. Yeah. Was it was it the um? Well, this was two thousand twelve, so this was after Avatar. Was this the goofy three D where just something comes to the screen at you, or was it the immersive three D? It was. It was. Uh, that's the thing. I love goofy three D. And this. I hate I, that goofy is the whole 3D. goofy three D is perfect. That's what it's designed for. I want to see nonsense popping out of me. I want a Jack in the Box. Um, but well, the I problem, re- but, the problem with that is like we've talked about off mic before, Zach. Is that when you don't watch the goofy movies, the goofy three D movies in three D, you can clearly tell the scenes that they made for three D. Like what? That's it's like fine. Captain America it's, throws his shield, and for some reason, there's just a still shot of like a tank, and the shield hits it and bounces toward the screen, and it just looks stupid when you're not watching it in 3D. And then but my I... take is, when you're watching it in 3D, it still looks stupid <laughs> because they shouldn't insert <laughs> shots in a movie just because they're making it in 3D. I think Alice in Wonderland, the Tim Burton one, did that as well with Mad Hatter throwing his hat or something, or doing That's... the nutter butter. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to ask ask the Google what the name of the no, it is? No, it didn't. It didn't pick it up well enough last time. So okay. <laughs> and I also don't like that now. It's like the last few things I've asked my Google, uh, whatever it is, that um, it has to deal with Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> it's gonna recommend bad things to me. Um, but no, the three D from what I can remember was primarily like immersive but like it did have its moments where stuff came at you like it was fun like it was those times like i was like oh this was like worth it if i remember correctly like it it primarily was shown in 3d this film okay like it didn't last it didn't last long in theaters like i was joking with ben like yeah it's kind of like if you saw this in theaters it's kind of a rare thing because like nobody did and it didn't last long to begin with but like i was always like I was on the hype train for this movie. Like that first trailer was great. Like I think it has like the LaRue song in it. Like I don't get why. And that's something I kind of want to ask you guys because you know I'm all about these philosophical like questions. Is why do you think this movie outright bombed? Like like the the reviews were positive. Like from a critical perspective, the like word of mouth from the like handful of people who saw it was positive from everything i've said it's a very very dumb great action movie which is all people really want especially in the era of the michael bay transformers and things like that yeah i don't have any idea why it did so poorly to be to be honest um it's kind of the same way that we don't have any idea why beverly hills cop did well um, <laughs> now that that is a great comparison. That now that is oh god, Rob. He, he oh god. He why did the worst like, movie ever made make three hundred million dollars? And why did this, which is a very fun movie that is much better than Beverly Hills Cop, not make money? That is. We are we are getting at the real questions right now. Once again, everybody tune in three weeks from now to understand this discussion fully. Shit <laughs> <laughs> just got real. Okay, okay, we're gonna play the another blank checkism. We're gonna play the box office game. Oh god, I'm good. Okay, in the no! opening weekend for 
In the opening weekend for Dread, which was September 21st, 2012. I don't like it. It's almost there. nine years ago. Guess, okay. I'm not putting top... any dings in or anything. I've, I refuse to do that. I don't like you, Zach. Okay, have, have a reverse. Because we're going through the turnstiles, can we put a reverse ding in? No, I don't know. <laughs> no. How about this? How about this? If we get it right, we play the Annihilation sound. If we get it wrong, we play the Annihilation sound. <laughs> Just so we can get can in we play? like six minutes straight of the Annihilation sound. How about the Annihilation sound in reverse? No, that's that's we don't have that. <laughs> that's not been played in reverse before. Okay, no. If you want to do this, Zach, because I know what you're getting. No, at the box no, office. no. Yes, we're not playing. You guys are okay. I couldn't even do this. This is such a look at these are the. This is the top. Okay. Well, no. Now Dread I'm actually tempted. In. We should give it to Ben and Ben only with no hints. You know what the worst <laughs> part is? The third move, like as okay. Dread came in number six in its opening weekend. Okay. Sixth place of the top five movies. One of them is a re- a three D re release of a movie from two thousand three. Another one of the movies doesn't even exist. I don't even know what it is. I don't even haven't even heard of it. One of them is from a I think it's like the fourth movie in a major film franchise. And one of them, the other one is a Michael Pena and Jake Gyllenhaal movie. And the other one is a Jennifer. What's her name? Uh, Hunger Games. Jennifer. She disappeared. She's she's basically what? her career is gone. Yes. Jennifer Lawrence, because she's disappeared. She hasn't been in a movie like in three or four years. Okay, Ben. everybody hates her now. Go. Name the movies. <laughs> <laughs> my my guess on the 3D re-release, is it one of the Star Wars? No. It's not like Revenge of the Sith or something? I don't know my years of the um, Star Wars. Only one Star Wars movie was re-released in 3D, and that was the Phantom Menace oh, earlier okay, that year. Okay, they only did the Phantom Menace. Um, the Jennifer Lawrence movie, I'm going to guess, was the gangster-type one? Uh, American Hustle? Yes, isn't that like a gangster-based no. movie? Eh, hustler, a hustler type movie. That's what uh, Christian Bale is. What is a gangster other than a hustler? <laughs> All right, because you, go, I wouldn't get this. So I'm re- no, no, I'm not. Okay. I'm, not, I'm never going to be able to guess. Figure this out. I need deep hints. Okay, this is the thing I find fascinating, and I think we've talked about this in our Tron episode. Is that like you think about like all the movies that came out. 1982 and like oh et kind of just like sucked the air out of movie theaters that summer yeah yet like when it comes to like pop culture and just film criticism like it's the movie that's the least talked about because there's really no like like layers to it it's pretty just at the surface like we talk more about the thing tron blade runner Mm -hmm. than we'll ever talk about et because there's just there's no layers to that even as much as i dislike blade runner there's at least infinitely more to talk about that movie as to how it doesn't work than E.T. where it's like, oh, it's it's like talking about a like a, a whopper. It's like it's there. It works like there's nothing else to it. The number one movie that can I, can I say on E.T. E.T. is ugly as hell. Like, I hate the design of E.T. He's like, like an just, earthworm. He's like rumpled, rumpled up foreskin or something. <laughs> Oh, that's a horrible image you just conjured up. That, that's um, what ET is. It's a horrible image. I, may, may I take a slight uh, sidebar with uh, Ben? Yeah. What do you want me to do? Should I earmuff no, myself? No. no. <laughs> I guess tangent. Ben, what is your opinion on Blade Runner? I think my opinion is that I haven't seen it. Oh, oh, good. Oh, good. Oh. <laughs> that, that's not the truth, though. I have seen it. That's just my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, I don't think I've seen it. 
Okay, I was just curious. Um, all right, the number one movie is End of Watch with Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena. End of Watch. Oh, that's it, that cop movie. It's it's the found footage like film like style like cop movie. Hmm, okay. I think I think that's part of it. I, I, think I that was don't think I know what that is. So okay. Yes. Yeah. It's all right. It doesn't exist. How the second movie is Jennifer Lawrence in House at the End of the Street, another oh, fuck, movie that, that doesn't dope. exist. <laughs> Wait, what? I think yeah, Zach, actually... you should learn at this point. Every time you say this movie doesn't exist, Ben's gonna be like, "I got that on three different DVDs." <laughs> uh, that's it, it's uh, it's kind of similar to that like la- Last House on the Left and or Right movies that came out. Um, is it really? Yeah, I, it's like a. Are you just saying that because it's a street? Are you just saying that because like a street? Like it's the only other movie. No, I've actually I've like, seen like, this movie. It's a. It, I've actually heard of it. It's some. Is it like a home invasion type movie? Okay, uh, this is this is a description. After moving after moving with her mother to a small town, a teenager finds that an accident happened in the house at the end of the street. Things get more complicated when she befriends a boy. A double murder is not an accident. <laughs> I'm more confused now than I was before. Uh, Yeah, it's like, what is this movie about, Ben? Like, is it like a thriller? Is it like a a horror movie? It's supposed to be like a thriller slash horror type movie. It's, I I mean, it's, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't realize that it was ever in theaters. (laughs) (laughs) Now that is a ring endorsement. That is the. the I'm pretty sure I saw I streamed it from somewhere. Okay, that doesn't count. As Rob can tell you, I think you stream is, does not count as a movie. Um, <laughs> Trouble with the Curve, which is a Clint Eastwood movie. Oh, a daughter sure? tries to remedy her dysfunctional relationship with her ailing father, a decorated baseball scout. Okay, by helping him in a recruiting trip, which could be his last. Trouble with the Curve. That's. Are you sure that's a baseball movie and not a movie about chemistry tests? <laughs> is Clint Eastwood the uh does he star in that as well? Ah uh, yeah, of okay. course. Okay. The he's, four... he's, he's just an extra. <laughs> <laughs> he's wandered on set. Um the fourth movie is the second weekend of Finding Nemo in 3D. Oh, oh. yeah, I never would have remembered that. Even that was 2003. I mean, Jeez. I I loved Finding Nemo, but I didn't realize they re-released it in 3D. They did. And then the fifth is Resident Evil Retribution. Ah, uh, you said fourth installment, so we get. Uh, is it the fourth or fifth? Oh, I don't, fifth, I don't fifth, know. Fifth, fifth. It's the fifth. The fourth one I think came out in 2010, so it's the fifth. Which one is the Resident Evil colon Rise of the Lichens colon Underworld crossover colon Kate Beckinsale? <laughs> Uh, is that 2000? All of them. Okay, Ben, ben has it right. All of them, yes. <laughs> is that kind of sad, though, that Resident Evil 5 in its second weekend made more money than Dread did? Uh, I mean, Resident Evil had some popularity. Yeah, but the by the fifth, fifth one, one? Yeah, that's that's what I'm surprised by, absolutely. That is that is a very interesting idea. So, yeah, I mean... Well, I mean, they're, they're still making Resident Evil games, so it's not like it's not like that ever died. You know what's sad? That End of Watch made more money in its opening weekend than Dread did in its entire run in the U.S. That's God. I just tipped the scales because I rented Dread for $4, so. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You can get the Blu-ray for like $4. Man. You, you could you really get own the, the copy of this. 
you could get the de- digital version for six or you can rent it for four. And I chose to rent it. <laughs> ben is furiously refreshing box office mojo or whatever site <laughs> used for the money now. And he's like, come on, I want to see it go up by four or <laughs> two fifty because Amazon takes its cut or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <sighs> that's but a yeah, very I, strange I, box office, Zach. That's beyond the weird thing though, is that like this movie had no competition that month. Like there, like September yep. was like a really because like I sure think the Harry Potter movie didn't come out then because no wasn't Harry Potter like all December all the time. It was, it was over. Then? Harry Potter was over by 2012. Man, how would I know? How would I know that? The, the... Are you sure? Because sure? I'm pretty sure I saw the last Harry Potter when I was in college. The last one was uh, July 2011. Rob remembers that. I do. I do. No, but so the Finding Nemo makes sense that it is has the family aspect. I guess the Clint Eastwood has some standing. But End of Watch is weird to me that that would – because I don't even know what the hell that is. It, Last, it's uh, a cop movie. It was like – it was kind of uh, in the same vein as like what uh, De- Departed? No. Not no. Departed. I mean, Dread uh, is a cop movie, <laughs> kind of technically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. No, but that that is a very strange box office act for sure. That is, and I I, I, I'm with you. I don't really know why Dread didn't do better because it seems like it'd be right up. It's not even like super gory, you know. Like that could be that couldn't be that that big of a turnoff. Yeah, um, I I don't know. Yeah, it's it's just like, like I don't know. You, you look through like the movies that made money that that year. Did you see uh, Finding Nemo in 3D? Either of you? Finding Nemo is a nightmare of a pixel. Oh, Rob, 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 Rob. I have a, I have a question touch, to ask you. Touch the butt? You know, are we going to you know touch the butt? Are we yes, going to touch the argue, butt? I, <laughs> yes. I Rob, I, much, like, much like how, like, has the, uh, has the David Fincher Patreon thing gone out yet? No, not yet. By the time this episode goes out? No, by the time this Oh, yeah, it'll, it'll be up before this, yeah. Okay. So my question is... Can we do for that like we did with uh, for Pixar? Can we do that where we all watch like we all like take our rankings of Pixar movies There's and like so argue many about Pixar them? Pixar movies, a lot. We'll di- okay. We'll disqualify the ones that don't matter. Like no, no, the we dinosaur can't. No, one, we can't do Cars that. That's two, where I draw the line. If we're gonna Cars go, three, we're going hard. Cars. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna start rating DreamWorks movies. We are, <laughs> we are all gonna watch the Good Dinosaur four times. Okay. <laughs> That's not even the worst Pixar movie. The worst Pixar movie is Cars Two. Could, okay, if we do this, which I don't want to do this, because there's so many Pixar movies, and I'm not, I'm not even the biggest fan of Pixar, we would have to call it ranking the most emotionally manipulative movies in existence. Okay. That's if that all of them are. Okay, and if we were to do that, we already know what number one would be. Ah, uh, for emotionally manipulative? Up. That's it's what up. I was going to say, yeah. Most, that's what I was going to say. Up up is, is, that's what I mean. There's no, it didn't, like, yeah. That's and the then Toy Story 3. Is very emotional. No, no, no. I, I don't care. No, yeah, yes, but fuck that movie. I hate that movie. Well, that I would, would be that, that would be our whole discussion. Would be fuck most of these movies. <laughs> Even Ben, I think Ben, you and I talked like at the end of last year. You were like, I rewatched Toy Story. It's like half a movie, and I'm like, it's a kids movie. What do you expect? <laughs> First Toy Story, I I love. Like, I get why that that movie like works. I love A Bug's Life. Even though I haven't watched it probably in like 15 years. Toy Story 2 is emotionally manipulative. Monsters, Inc. isn't that bad, actually. That's not that bad a movie. Like, in the sense of, like, it's not really anything. It's just, like, it's a fun premise. I, and then, like, Finding Nemo is, like... a lot the... of movies, <laughs> I know it is. That's why we should, like, disqualify half of them. 
Be no, but then we're not going hard. We gotta go hard, okay? <laughs> we either do it or we don't do it. I think we should do Ben Singh. Let's rank DreamWorks movies. Like, we're arguing, like, no, no, no. I think because the, oh, God, what was that movie called? The Prince of Egypt. Oh, God, what was the Egypt movie? Prin- I think it's Prince of Egypt. Prince of Egypt is way, way better than Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron. Like, I just, like, I just... <laughs> You know what's really funny? I was at Target today. They had uh, Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron toys. And I'm like, what year wow. is this? Wow. I'm like, did I go back in time? Yeah, I'm like, it came out the summer after I was in fifth grade. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. came out the same year Attack of the Clones came out. I'm just like, it's like, like, I'm guessing that it's something, something Netflix, because there's no way that like it's something that's been sitting on shelves for two decades. Oh, yeah. But I like, think I think Netflix did make a series that's but like i i didn't know they made toys for it i'm like what like what what year is this i'm like i'm like where are the count dooku toys okay i'm a little i'm a little more intrigued at the pixar thing are you really because i just remembered we would get to revisit brad bird again and brad bird is incredibly interesting to talk about (laughs) not the the movies because i hate the incredibles and i hate ratatouille but I just want to talk you know about best, Brad Bird. <laughs> you, you know what the best part is? Like, The Incredibles begins with a man being like, Mr. Incredible should go to jail because he stopped my suicide you attempt. Fo- yes, you foiled my suicide attempt, I think is the exact line. In a stunning turn of events, a superhero is being sued for saving someone who apparently didn't want to be saved. The plaintiff, Oliver Sansweet, who was foiled in his attempted suicide by Mr. Incredible, has filed suit against the famed superhero in Superior Court. Mr. Sansweet didn't ask to be saved. Mr. Sansweet didn't want to be saved. And the injury received from Mr. Incredible's actions, so-called, causes him daily pain. Hey, I saved your life! You didn't save my life, you ruined my death! That's what you're Listen, my client has no further comment at this time. Exactly, and that's brilliant for like the opening five minutes of a Pixar film. Like that's insane. Iron Giant wasn't Pixar. That was before he went to Pixar, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, was for, yeah, yeah. That was like Warner Brothers. God. No, okay. Now I'm just talking myself into let's do Brad Bird because we did Tomorrowland already. Then we truly become the blank check pro- podcast, right, Rob? Oh, they've done him. I'm sure they. Yeah. Of course for the they Pixar, have, Rob. I'm sure they've done him. Okay. See, but the thing is. I bet they talk about the movies. I don't want to talk about his movies at all. I just want to talk about him and how his, like, sister was shot to death. So he said, I want to make the Iron Giant where a gun chooses not to be a gun. Like, he is more interesting than any of his movies. (laughs) Rob, we can do – because he directed Do the Bartman music video. Let's do that. We'll watch a a five-minute Simpsons music video. Then we can talk about Brad Bird for the other two and a half hours. Brad Bird is a very interesting, interesting person. I have to give you that, Zach. <laughs> I wonder where Brad Bird's opinion on Dread is. Uh, interesting. I guess we have to ask Ben, the movie we've covered. Have you seen Tomorrowland with George? I not. Okay, okay. That's a, that's all, a movie all you need, and a half, man. <laughs> all you need to know, Ben, is that George Clooney falls in love with a robot girl. That's all you a need little, to know. A little robot girl. Yeah. What's the last? You said it's a movie and a half? So it's three Toy Stories? it's a movie and a half because i think zach and i disagree but it's one of those movies that i say this is probably one of the worst things i've ever seen but i can talk about it for like 25 hours straight (laughs) and Britt robertson's amazing can you can we grow french fries would we want (laughs) to grow french fries what in your brain makes us think it would even be possible to grow french fries (laughs) Hugh Laurie has a whole monologue and a bonus feature about growing French fries, and it is fantastic. <laughs> in the future, 
No one will ever go hungry as we learn to cultivate any kind of crop in any part of the world, no matter how harsh the climate. We're capable of growing whatever we imagine. Can we grow French fries? Can, no. You're asking me if we can grow French fries. Do you think it's likely that we could grow French fries? How would we do that? Is it even desirable that we grow French fries, seeing that French fries are merely potatoes burnt to a crisp in hydrogenated oil? Is that a good thing? We want to grow French fries? Don't nod. Don't nod. I... I said... Don't nod. We can grow anything that we need. Tango candy? We... Has anyone checked these children for head trauma? Oh my god. Okay, we went off the rails. Zach, you, are you happy we've achieved true blank check status? We've gone and completely yes. off the rails. Um, yes. If you want to list Ben's names, and that'll be the last thing we do until, and then we'll get into our questions. How does that sound? The Ben Deucer, the Poet Laureate, the Fart Detective, the Meat Lover, um, our finest film critic. Ben what should look confused. No, I don't think Ben looks confused. Ben looks agitated because I still to this day <laughs> think that is the dumbest part about Blank Check are all the stupid fucking nicknames that they go through. I love I mean, that. I love that. I like that they try to phase that out. I'm not going to say that you can't go through nicknames, but I have a bunch of nicknames and none of them are those. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was called Cabbage for a long period of my life. <laughs> cabbage. Okay, okay. The next time, I think the next time the three of us will we're, we'll be together will be for the end of the Martin Brest series for Midnight Run. Zach, we have to remember that when you do the intro, cabbage. you say, late, Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob, Zach, and Cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'll have to text him because he's not even going to remember that I should mention him. No, he'll be out. No, he'll be like Zach. You didn't say. I'm like, oh yes, and bed. No, Zach. His nickname. And I'm Cabbage. Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, Miklo, Ben Ten. I was. I had a lot of nicknames. I worked with people that just gave me a nickname like every ben other week. Ben Ten is good. Ben Ten is good. Um, does anybody call you by your middle name? No. Okay. Hosley? Uh, I think the only people that know my middle name are dead. (laughs) Okay, I'm the last person alive that knows your middle name. Okay. (laughs) Okay, well, Zach, you have made me angry, as you often do, with this blank check nonsense. Ben, anything else you want to say about dread, (laughs) if we could get back on the rails before we get to our questions? I I mean, the stuff that we just experienced was pretty dreadful, but other than that, no. (laughs) I dreaded what Zach just. Are we are we gonna redo the Tron thing, but with the word dread right now? <laughs> let's do it quick, Ben. Let's rapid fire. Three minutes, just every dread. What do we got? That was a dreadful take, Zach. <laughs> uh, that might be it. These are kindred spirits. Oh, okay. Ben and I, with how upset we are with you, Zach, are kindred spirits. I like that. There we okay. go. Dread is tougher than than Tron for sure. It is. <laughs> Zach, I think your new nickname should be Mildred. <laughs> oh, that does that doesn't make sense. It's a name, Mildred. I just put an extra D on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we beat the Tron thing because at, at the start of the Tron thing, Zach's okay with it, and then he starts to hate it right off the bat. Zach's like, any pun you make is gonna be bad. <laughs> <laughs> Those red ones are that's rough. Uh, okay Ooh. well then i guess well, one final one thing i guess i still want to say is so we conclude this series because next oh. month starts a rob series is yes. that like 
can we talk about the fact that like every single one of these movies like mm-hmm. was a financial disappointment in one way or another and the one common theme about them like for speed racer it's 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 a little like wonky to say this but like they all involve some sort of like authoritarian regime oh uh, interesting yeah we definitely get that from tron and tron legacy too starship troopers yep the military military he- industrial complex yep yeah, and even like in uh, Speed Racer, it's the idea like you have like this like it's like clandestine group like orchestrating yep. everything. Yep. See, I'm starting to think that Zach just thinks the world should be totalitarian. I was about to say that same thing because Zach picked these movies. Of course, we talked about it. I gave him some ideas uh, of what how we could not cut Speed Racer. But yeah, so Zach, the movies according to Zach that should have changed the world are the ones about total police <laughs> states and total ruling governments and things like that. <laughs> And it should be noted that the film I wanted to take out was for Mad Max Fury Road, which also fills that. Okay. And also, Valer- and also Valerian kind of fits that, too, considering that, like, what is it? Uh, oh, God, Clive, Clive Owen is in charge of, like, a group in the government that wants to control everything. We're learning a lot about Zach this series. <laughs> We're learning a lot about Zach this series. You better kind believe if a movie comes out where there's a police state or, like, totalitarian government, Zach's there. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah. Fun. Okay. Well, I guess then that does bring us to our questions, our cinemodities and late night. And, Zach, I guess I'm going to start with you because you have to talk about this podcast again. No more blank check nonsense. Answer our questions, okay? <laughs> okay. I Remember what podcast movie, you're Merchandise on. Spotlight. Merchandise Spotlight. Oh, no, Maxim was going to email us about it. <laughs> There is okay merchandise spotlight. There is no merchandise, and I would literally pay a ridiculous amount of money for a dread action figure. Oh, there's no even. I was thinking like helmet. Nothing, nothing. Really? Like there's I, stuff. There's, the helmet would there's be dread, really cool. There's dread merchandise based off the comic book like likeness. Like there's no shortage of that. Like sure, that exists. Sure. But there is nothing from the movie. There is ah. no merchandise from this movie. Like outside of maybe like promotional items, like like that were like given away when it was released. That is quite interesting. Okay, I would have expected there would at least be some, you know, dread on his motorcycle. Um, even you know. a dread, even a Carl Urban Funko Pop, I would take at this point, and that doesn't <laughs> exist. If it had the big frown, I'd be all about that. I wouldn't buy it. I'd look at it, but I'd be like, all about that. I think it's so funny. There is a Kyle MacLachlan, Paul Atreides Funko Pop, yet not a Carl <laughs> Urban Dread Funko Pop. That is insane. That is. I, I have to give that to you. I have to give that to you. Um, okay, so I, I honestly did not expect that to, for there not to be merchandise, but I guess that's a good thing to bring up. So Maximo can't ask for us to hear or him to show you to show off your merchandise because it doesn't exist. So then, Zach, that brings us to Cinemodities and Late Night Movie. What do you got? Cinemodity, yes, because it's, it's weird. Like, I'm kind of conflicted about Cinemodity because, like, the reason why I feel it's a cinemati is that, like, it's a competently made movie that does exactly what it's supposed to, yet it is a cinemati because nobody appreciates it for what it is. So it's, like, in a weird sort of, like, paradoxical limbo. It's, like, if this movie was appreciated, it would not be a cinemati, but because it wasn't, it is. So <laughs> so I'm going to say yes to cinemati, and, like, we've already said, I think this, this would be a pretty fun romp as a late-night movie. I, uh, I think... Um... I'm not going to agree with you completely. It's one of the instances uh, that doesn't, it, this doesn't happen split? too much. Are we split, Rob? I think, I think we're going to be split. 
on Cinemodities because this is one of the instances I love when it comes up that I have the same reason for both my answers to Cinemodities and Late Night. And usually, I think when it happens, I say I have the same reason for yes to both or no to both. I have the same reason to say no to Cinemodities, but fuck yeah to Late Night Movie. It's a great, fun action movie which is exactly why you should watch it late at night. I think this is going to get people's attention and lend itself to some interesting discussion of the the weird universe that this movie lives in. But there is nothing odd about this to me. This is this is action movie that I find good and fun. Fun is probably the better word. So I'm going no to Cinemodities and fuck yeah. Well, specifically I wrote oh fuck yeah to late night. So I'll put that in the spreadsheet. <laughs> so Ben, that leaves you. What do you think for our Cinemodities and late night? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna reference one of my f- favorite Canadian songs. Uh, <laughs> Chris isn't here though. <laughs> it's, it's called Out for a Rip. It is the same song I mentioned at that time. Uh, when it comes to Cinemodities, I'm gonna have to say no. But when it comes to Late Night, I'm gonna say, Oh fuck yeah, bud! <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a good movie. To uh, it's enjoyable. I I also think it's good. I'm I'm not. I, I am with Rob on the fact that there should be a distinction between enjoyable and good. This is a movie where I'm not drawing that line, though. I think it's good and it's enjoyable. I think the what we should also ask ourselves is, would any of our answers to these questions change if we were on slow-mo while watching the movie? Would that make the experience better or worse? I think it might make it worse, because I, like I said, I like that it was 90 minutes in and out, done. Yeah, this I don't want a 900-minute or 9,000-minute movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can barely stand two hours, so no, this is a uh, slow-mo's a no-go for me. <laughs> slow-mo no-go. That'll be like our, our PSA, like, dare, you know? Like, we'll have shirts that say slow-mo no-go. Yeah. Like, the X through it or whatever. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a no-go. Well, then that brings us to snacks, and I, I don't have a lot of snacks for this movie. I think one that um I can totally get behind that uh i think there's two now one that we mentioned earlier uh we should do something with our dead bodies we should recycle them in some way for the restaurant uh, i'm open to suggestions if we want to use them for meat if we want to use them for you know maybe make utensils perpetual out of bones stew. perpetual stew exactly you know all that stuff so that one is a great idea we should uh you know be um uh, reuse reduce recycle or whatever the hell the saying is but Produce, for bodies. reuse, cannibalize. Cannibalize, I like that. Yes, absolutely. Um, the other one is we should just straight up have slow-mo on the menu. Like, I would love people to be able to oh, get some slow-mo. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, that might be the downfall of some of the people that work in the restaurant as well, where customers are like, we ordered our food, like, I was about to say an hour ago, but that's usually how long they have to wait. So it would be something like, we ordered our food a day ago, and it's like, oh, your waiter went on a slow-mo binge and hasn't really caught up to your table yet. Um, but those are my two low hanging fruit. The other one I wanted to mention, which goes in with the body thing I think I mentioned, or reusing. I do love in the, I'm pretty sure the peach trees, after the judges, Judge Dredd and the rookie get there, and, you know, we see like a little floor sweeper cleaning up the blood and the carnage of the bodies. We need that. We need some way to clean up blood and carnage as quick as possible in the restaurant. <laughs> so what you're saying, Rob, is we need a Zamboni? Yeah, basically it's a it's a it's a blood smearing zamboni. That's fascinating. <laughs> so I I have uh, I'm gonna pitch a hot shot. Ooh, it's a it's a game of chance. Ooh, okay. There's like a twelve percent chance you're just gonna get some heroin. 
And and there's like a twelve percent <laughs> chance you're gonna get some form of liquor, like red hot or like a fireball. Sure. And and then the rest of the chances that you're gonna get shot in the mouth with one of those flares. <laughs> so, okay, so when, when so you like started, I, when you, yeah, when you started, I thought there was gonna be. Is there one apparatus that delivers all of these things, or is like the waiter comes out with what they, you know, like? Or are you saying we should invent a machine that you like you hold to your arm? Or head, or whatever, and either it gives you a shot of heroin, it makes you drink liquor, or it shoots you. Like, is this like <laughs> yeah. is this like a contraption, or is it delivered by the waiter? Uh, I was imagining delivered by the waiter, but I'm not opposed to contraption. Because my only issue with the waiter thing is, it's like you order this, and you're you're like you're feeling lucky that day, and then as the waiter's coming up to your table, you clearly see like a gun. You know which one you've gotten. <laughs> like it should be a surprise. Until it actually happens, right? Well, maybe the waiter always brings out all three. Oh, see, then I feel like we would have some bias of the waiter. Like, how do we control the waiter? What if the waiter's like, I really don't like this dude. Like, I don't like the cut of his jib. So he's getting <laughs> shot in the face, no matter what the random number generator says. Um, I mean, then we give the waiter a hot shot, probably. <laughs> and it all works out because we're recycling our bodies. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so hot shots for sure. Uh, it's going to be on the the dessert menu. Oh, right like next that. to, right like next that. to lava cake. <laughs> <laughs> I would like. Uh, could I get a cup of coffee and the hot molten lava cake? Anything for you, honey? Mm, I want the hot shot. <laughs> <laughs> no, honey, you said never again. Um, it's this is the only place I know where to get heroin. Uh, anyway, so, so yeah, the hot shot. I don't. I don't think I have too much else. Um, it's maybe, not a very food heavy movie. No, I. I think since you already put slow mo on the menu, um, some kind of bungee jumping experience that you can do with slow mo. Okay. But we don't actually measure the bungee cord, so, like, who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. We could even, uh, extending that, the place where, well, we don't, we, don't men, we don't measure the bungee cord, but we could do it off of, like, some type of vertical slums that exist in the restaurant. Yeah, totally. Okay, okay, I like that. I like that. Uh, oh, and you can even have, you could even pay for, like, a get murdered by a judge experience where, like, somebody dressed up like Judge Dredd. Just like pushes you out a window, but you're on the bus <laughs> and you're on slow mo. Oh, like that's... no, they they force feed you the slow mo and then push you out the window. That's an interesting idea. We have some walk around characters in the restaurant. I would love a Judge Dread walker or Judge walk around character that like someone's at their table just eating and you know having like an interaction with whoever they're with, and the judge comes up to him and he's like. If you're here when I make my rounds again, you're going in the ISO queue. <laughs> like, that's how we have table turnaround. We keep it efficient, you know? <laughs> Vagrancy. Two, two weeks in the ISO queue. <laughs> Rookie. Judgment. Vagrancy, three weeks ISO cubes, but prioritize murders? Correct. Don't be here when we get back. I'm going to put you in a juve cube, and then I'm going to put that juve cube in an ISO cube. <laughs> it's like prison, prison. <laughs> I'm going to drop that ISO cube off of a cliff. <laughs> oh, God. Zach, what did you have for snacks? 
Oh, uh, I think I know we talked about it a couple times though, but maybe we should get the hall of ju- the hall of judges to do security for the Cinemati's restaurant. Kind of like what Ben was saying. You have someone walking mm. around. I think that's what we need. Would they be like our bouncer type? Thing? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Judge, jury, and executioner. Like if someone is just like you know holding their mouth next to the caviar glory hole and hogging yes. it for everybody, they, they the can judges them. rip them away <laughs> and murder them. <laughs> No, I can get behind that. We, I guess technically we do need some type of security for us. I don't think that's ever come up at all for the restaurant, I if know. I remember correctly. So so I like that, you know, we have judges that are entirely going to be like – I want the Judge dread type judges. I don't want the corrupt ones. I want the ones that are going to follow the law to the letter, like, <laughs> like rules-based law, like not principles-based. Like there's no interpretation. They do what the law says, and we get to write the law. Just wait until Mariska Hargitay shows and has to interact with Judge Dredd. Do you think it's uh, lawful neutral? That's what you're looking for? Well, well that, that idea would be lawful neutral, but the laws we write would be chaotic evil, of course. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Oh, okay, no, I like I like that. I, I... Can, we, can we please have a crossover of Judge Dredd and Mariska Hargitay going at it? Now Dread, that... you can't you can't be murdering people in the face. <laughs> <laughs> now you that have to murder be him below the bell. That yeah, that would be great. Instead of getting um uh, Christopher Maloney back as Elliot Stabler in season twenty two, they do a crossover with Judge Dredd. <laughs> Dredd, you couldn't have thrown Mama out the window. She's the victim. <laughs> yes, I would love to see Mariska Hargitay be like. Like Dread comes in as like a, a judge from a different precinct because they're like working on like a serial rapist or something, and then we have a great scene where Mariska Hargitay and Ice T have to tell Judge Dread Carl Urban with the big frown in the mask, "We don't victim blame here. We're sympathetic <laughs> with the victims." <laughs> also, I have another idea for a restaurant, an untapped market, if you will. Okay. I think we should start offering um, brisk services, and Mama can be the one that does the circumcision. <laughs> With her mouth? That's up, that's up to her. I, that's I'm, up to, okay, I'm we're leaving that to, we don't We don't victim shame here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure, also, I, would imagine we, I would imagine we were already doing – even if we weren't sanctioning it, somebody was performing <laughs> circumcisions in the restaurant. So, fine. It's an infinite void. Infinite things are allowed to happen there eventually. Babies are being born in there. We know that people have been trapped there longer than nine months, so it has to happen. <laughs> also, one final thing we need a half pipe somewhere in the restaurant, like somewhere like on the 100th floor. <laughs> Extended over a balcony? Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So this okay yeah I like what we've come up with. This movie has actually given us a lot of dangerous things to the rest of it, which I really enjoy. <laughs> oh, can we have machine guns that are like stationed right across from the half pipe? So you can like, <laughs> shoot at the people that are on the half pipe. But it's, it has to be like rubber bullets so it doesn't destroy the half pipe. But this no, it hurts the people. I like that cuz then it's like someone's like tr- on the half pipe and they're doing some tricks and then they get hit with a rubber bullet which causes them to fall off to their death. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But it doesn't – if it accidentally hits the half pipe, it doesn't, like, put a hole yeah. in it or anything. So. Yeah. And it'll bounce – they'll bounce around, you know, maybe some, like – it'll shoot – it'll be, like, of course, like you said, like a Gatling gun, a machine gun. It'll shoot so many rubber bullets that the rubber bullets that don't hit anybody of the skateboarders, it'll bounce off and they'll rain on the customers that are yeah. somewhere way below the half pipe. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it's like, waiter, why are there rubber bullets falling onto our table? And it's like, hey, you're lucky. It could be a body. (laughs) (laughs) Should we do that periodically? Should we do that periodically? Throw bodies off? Like that's oh, what you yeah. recycle. Like some of the bodies, so you get that perfect like splat. Well, I mean, you got to process them some before they're recycled. So like we need to tenderize that's we this tend- one. Exactly. You <laughs> took the words out of my yep, mouth. That's the that's the process. That's the process. <laughs> uh, this is like the closest we might ever get to having weather inside the building with the the bullets and the bodies falling from the sky. How did like, we just a talk about that, Rob? Is that I, we've talked about maybe once or twice that there actually is its own, like, ecosystem in yeah, there? Yeah, we we've have, definitely like... talked about, like, animals that have been trapped in there, and, and they're doing <laughs> something to the ecosystem and things like that. So, I'm yeah. kind of curious. Going back to Alex Garland, like, what was our what were our snacks for Annihilation? Like, I feel like there was a lot. I know we had the phosphorus grenade. Like, I know that. Yes, the, but the like, a kid, on kids' bir- or anybody's birthday, they have to sit in the corner and... and ignite a phosphorus grenade uh that we <laughs> is have. there anything else we did with that like I, the idea that like the we shimmer had in the restaurant? to have the bear that screams with the human scream we had to have that <laughs> oh, i forgot about that <laughs> i there is i i would be shocked if i did not say we need a bear running around the restaurant that is screaming a human scream <laughs> there's no way i did not i forgot that. that's a real thing in the movie That's a thing that happened in that movie. Have we talked about how Alex Garland is possibly insane? Should we like just touch on that a little bit? I mean, he's like, a, have you seen Annihilation? I have not. Oh, that is a good Rob, movie. That is actually hear... one worth worth checking out. That is a very can interesting we, Rob, movie. Rob, Rob, may, may we have a quick powwow? We, we, cut, we, cut, we cut Ben just hold on a second. We have to have a quick conversation. Can we have a, a series where we show Ben other cinematics that he hasn't seen and we let him give a new take almost as if like kind of like a second chance? I think I like that better than your pitch for the three year anniversary to go through everything that we did before the restaurant because that's a lot. I think we could come up with a, like a handful of movies and be like, Ben, you need to see this. One, because they're good movies and then you could give your take on the uh, on the three year anniversary. I think we should do that. That's, I, mean, I think I bench up multiple recording sessions, but I'm I'm down. Okay, okay, I'm going to I'm just going to I'm going to read this cuz I pulled up the spreadsheet. Where's for, yeah, you have for annihilation? Yeah, I, I pulled it up. So these are our snacks. And I'm going to I'm going to this is this is actually a really cool insight because I never do this. I never read the exact thing I've written in the spreadsheet. Okay, here we go. These are the snacks for annihilation. Using the phrase, it's a trick of the light for many things in both the interior and exterior (laughs) aspects of the restaurant. That's the first one. A glitter slash confetti slash paint bomb slash phosphorus grenade that we give to patrons on their birthday for which they have to sit in a specific section of the floor. That's the next one. A calamari stomach delivery system with blood that is marinara sauce, which we'll videotape you cutting open and eating for a, in air quotes, small fee, and a deluxe version that will speak and tell you to stop while you are cutting. That's a very specific reference to that. No, remember they find the video camera and it's gross and they're like, stop it, turn it off. I'm like... You fucking need the information. Watch the whole thing. Ah, uh, this is the one I was thinking of. Meat from the genetically modified animals from okay. the shimmer. 
And lastly, which I mentioned before because I think I brought this up when uh, as a reason you were not here one week, Zach. No sinks in the Sin Emodities portion of the restaurant, just shallow pools of water that never gets recycled with knives scattered throughout. Remember, that's the kids' portion of the restaurant. We have knives and shallow <laughs> pools of water in, like, where they can wash what? their hands. <laughs> but what is that reference to in the movie? When they, when they uh, find the, the death metal album cover at the end of the pool, and there's, like, little shallow water, and they find oh. the knives. Oh, they do? Oh, I don't even remember that. Zach, it's like you didn't even watch Annihilation. <laughs> All I remember from Annihilation... It's wah, 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 wah. That's yes. all that you need to know from that movie. This episode is going to make Bear up for so name. many episodes, so many weeks where I haven't had to put that clip in, and it's going to be glorious. There's going to be so many annihilation <laughs> stings in this episode. Speaking of stings, how do we end this episode? May I make – May I, okay, maybe this is a note for the three-year anniversary. Oh, God. Can we go back – Okay, but okay, I don't know. You can add it in here for Dread. It doesn't matter. It's Alex Garland. Can we please have a bear that walks around the restaurant yelling? Yeah, we do. I I I thought I I said that specifically, but I, we just ended up with the meat from the animals. We do need that that bear just making human screams is a great. That's like one of the best parts of that movie is you just have a bear screaming at them and it's a human noise. That makes, oh, it's so cool. I might have to go fire up the Blu-ray for that after that just to watch that one scene <laughs> laugh hysterically. <laughs> I just like the idea of a bear walking through a restaurant. Like, I, I can imagine like there's a Chili's and there's a bear walking around and just yelling, Susan! Susan! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Annihilation's... Great. I, do, I think Zach and I agree. In all seriousness, Ben... You should check out Annihilation. And I think that's a very, very interesting movie. It's it's a very unnerving movie, but when you're not watching it, it might be one of the goofiest movies ever made. Yeah, out of context, it's very goofy, but it is. That last scene with the doppelganger is fantastic. I was just saying the final scene of Oscar Isaac and Natalie Portman embracing. Mm, oh, yes. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that is a, a very Can we talk about that? movie. Can we talk about how like, Natalie Portman is like a Cinemodis MVP? Why do you want to just why, – why are we doing this right at the very end, Zach? <laughs> right know. at the I'm very saying, end, Zach's like, I want to talk I'm about just, everything that I has nothing to do about, with Dread now. I watched Vox Lux again a couple of weeks ago, and all I'm going to say is – Are you retired? Are you retired? Joel, that's that thing sometimes that the world's just kind of happening to you. <laughs> beautiful. That is a beautiful movie. You're like, not wrong. Natalie Portman uh, is, is a cinemized is a MVP. She has had some crazy roles that we've discussed on here. But I think the, que- the more important question that comes to this part of the discussion, how do we end this episode? There's no real, like, what, just generic action score in reverse? Like, there's there, no music that stood is, out to me in this. There is, like, there's a little bit of a Dread theme, like, at the very end of the film, like, over, like, the beginning of the credits. I guess if I there's can a little find bit a Dread one. theme, because nothing stood out to me. There is! At the very end of the movie, there's, like, there's like he has, like, a nice little, like, like, like a 30, 60 second, like, like I'm little, not, like, I'm overture. not saying I don't believe you, I'm just saying it didn't stand out to me. <laughs> it didn't stand out. So, oh, I guess this one thing too. About, can I talk about yeah. real quick? My, my, can, I, can I talk about my movie going experience for this real quick? Oh my god, this is <laughs> so god. out of order. <laughs> well, well, one, we forgot to do your content. We're emulating blank. We're oh emulating god. blank check. Oh we're doing god. the episode in reverse, like they did Tenet. We're, this we're, is we're poorly. Tra- 
this is Ben saying, I don't want to be on this podcast anymore. Rob, <laughs> you've made me watch Beverly Hills Cop. And now Zach is doing everything we should have done two hours ago at the it's end of the episode. It's your You know why? Because now I have to add a new person's name to the intro of this podcast. So everything <laughs> is out of whack. Goddamn cabbage has ruined years? everything. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, Ben 10. God damn it. You still um, no. with us? <laughs> you still fucking talking, Zach? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Rob says that at the end of every episode. No, when I saw this in theaters... There was one part in the theater that I'll never forget that, like, when Dredd sang his thing, like, like over the, like, PA system, where he's like, Mama's not the law. I am the law. And because that's, like, one of, like, the more infamous quotes from the Stallone version, where, like, he says, I am the law. Somebody <laughs> actually started laughing hysterically in the theater when he says, I am the law. That's it. That would have worked better if it came up at the point of the episode when it should have came up. (laughs) Many of you guys didn't segue directly into dissecting the film. Goddamn critiquing Olivia Thurlby. Uh, Ben, can you tell Zach that he's a goober for me? (laughs) (laughs) Zach, you're, you're a goober. I cannot wait for my revenge, everybody. The fort year is on oh, its God. way. Yeah, we know. The we fort know. year is on its way. Is Ben being held at gunpoint to uh, watch Sugar and Spice, Rob? I don't know. That's a good question. We'll, we'll cross that. We'll burn that bridge when we get to it, I should say. Because <laughs> we have to finish the Martin Brest series, and I think that's a great uh, connection to the very end of this episode by saying, well, yes, next month we are starting a brand new series. It's one that Rob got to pick, one that he's wanted to do for a while. And it's the finishing up the filmography of Martin Brest. We've done Gigli. We're going through four other movies. Rob's going to watch all of them, though, even the ones we don't talk about. Give a ranking. I will see Meet Joe Black in its entirety. Uh, I have to see if I can find a VHS player to get it in its true form. But that's what we're getting at next week. And I think it's a very fitting connection, Zach, which you don't usually have. We're talking about Dread this week at the end of this series. A movie that was available, but nobody went to see. And tomorrow we will pick it tomorrow. Next week we will pick it up with Hot Tomorrows, a movie that is impossible to see. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. I think the uh, the only other thing is uh, we just want to say please feel free to harass us through cinemodities at gmail.com or on the Cinemodities subreddit. And most importantly, if you like what you hear between Rob and Ben, not Zach, come over and subscribe to the Cinemodities Patreon account. And support the podcast, get access to bonus content, and it is some good fun. Zach, and, uh, not Zach. Zach, do you have anything to say about the Patreon? No. Ben, do you have anything to say about the Patreon? <laughs> uh, come check it out. We really appreciate all the support. We have uh, two patrons, I think, at this point, and we're, yep. we're really grateful for, for you guys coming to check it out. Hopefully you're listening to that bonus content, and uh, we want to hear what you think about it. it we, are, we are willing to redirect a little bit. I mean, you're still going to hear us say some pretty fucked up things, uh, but we might talk about different fucked up things. So just like, let us know what you think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that's a, a good point. I'm glad you reminded me, Ben. Definitely, if you are a patron, if you start subscribing, uh, we we are really 
looking for feedback if you you know how we can make it better for you guys and that type of stuff and um if we if you want some more stuff like ben and i have said we can pump out adventure time very quickly which i'm actually almost caught up ben with our adventure time recordings and editing which is great because we have it like for the rest of the year done pretty much (laughs) if we don't speed up um but also you know if if you want to hear certain things i know ben and i have started doing this thing where we usually go off on rants, and I cut those rants out, and I make them their own little episodes. Uh, if you want a 15-minute rant of Ben and I hating on the Lord of the Rings trilogy, that exists now from one of our Adventure Time discussions. Um, if you want to hear about politics, that comes up way too often. <laughs> so please, give us feedback, and it is good fun. So, with that being said, uh, I'm glad we got through this series that Zach chose Next month is a Rob series, and then we're getting into the movies that led up to and directly caused 9-11. Mm.